Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. When tomorrow shows its face And you're running short of time Hold on tight, you'll smile again Can't you see you're your own best friend? Don't run away from yourself Don't run away from yourself Don't run away Hey guys, this is Amanda Reyes and this is the Made for TV Mayhem Show and to be perfectly honest, I kind of just want to play that song over and over again for the next two hours. So I think that's what I'm going to do instead of talking about the movies because it's the best. So that is Suzanne Summers singing the theme song to Zuma Beach, which is one of the movies we're talking about tonight because it's summer and we're going back to the beach and we picked two um, just beach-centric films that are actually completely different from each other, but there's a lot of beach in both of them. So as I said, uh, we'll be talking Zuma Beach, which stars Suzanne Summers and came out in 1978. And we'll also be talking about the rare telefilm Hustler of Muscle Beach, which was released in 1980 and stars Richard Hatch and Tim Kimber and Kay lens and I normally don't promote um, movies that have been uploaded on YouTube but I'm going to do that tonight for two reasons one because it was uploaded by Tim Kimber's daughter um, she uploaded the film to promote her father because she loves him and I think that's adorable and also because it's really rare and I, I would like people to watch it and number two because the copy that she uploaded came from a CBS late night airing and features tons and tons of public service announcements and original commercials and it's really great to watch it in, within the cultural context of when it originally aired so if you are, haven't seen Hustle Muscle Beach yet and you'd like to watch it, it is on YouTube um, and uh, it was uploaded with a lot of love and no ill will so be kind and don't report it um so anyway i'm here with my podcasting partners we're all here tonight um i'll start by introducing dan hey dan what's up sand sculptor kitty westberg and her son zach can't possibly afford a vacation to florida's luxurious dunes resort then kitty is hired to work on the dunes largest promotional gimmick the world's largest sand castle Clambering over the huge mound of sand, slowly transforming it into a fairy tale kingdom, the sculptors attract thousands of spectators to the oasis of man-made civilization amid the Florida swamp. But two intent watchers are neither tourists nor members of the press. They are swamp dwellers, hunters seeking new prey, and they have Kitty and her son in their sights. I'm all right. Why are we talking about that film? Uh, that's not a film. It's a book. I, I, I oh. started reading the other day called Sandman by Linda Crock. It's basically it, it, it's about people building a giant sandcastle and these creepy guys are, are after some of them. That sounds like a Johnny Quest, if I ever heard <laughs> <laughs> a Johnny Quest synopsis. And, and, and I think I think um, and I think that I brought that up because although I love beach party movies, I do not like sand. Sand annoys me. I prefer uh, I prefer a body of water where sort of like the grass goes mm-hmm. in like uh, like like in Blood Lake where the 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 the, the grass goes into the lake. I'm not sure. a sand guy, so I won't bring that up much because I think everyone in these movies who are in sand seem to really enjoy it. So I'm not going to take that away from them. <laughs> they do. The only people I know who don't enjoy sand besides you are the victims in Blood Beach. 
Yeah, I was going to say the other problem with Santa is there are giant avocado monsters underneath who'll pull you in and eat you. But yeah, that's she, an issue. It happens. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Um, that's good. Well, that sounds amazing. You'll have to let us know how that book plays out because I will. I will. I want to know all about it. Um, and we're also here with Nate. Nate made it. Hey, what's up? Hey, I'm excited to be here. I'm ready to discuss giant sandcastles and arm punches and volleyball tournaments <laughs> and bodybuilding contests. So you hit on all of the finer points of like why the late 70s and 1980 were the most amazing years of our lives. <laughs> because arm punches are the best. It's a, and you remember, so does it, do you guys, I don't know if Nate's old enough to remember, but maybe Dan does. When, when breakdancing first came out and there was that urban legend that gangs had stopped killing each other and they were breakdancing. Yes, yeah, break, break, <laughs> like breakdance brawling or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, yeah, and maybe that happened kind of, but not really. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. all like, yeah. look at that. They found art instead of violence. <laughs> and then we try to do like that thing where you spin on your head. And you break your neck. Yep. Yeah, and you die. Yeah, yeah so. that's it. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah, so this is like, this is going to be like um, arm punches took care of all of our problems. We just did that, and we all became friends, as we'll find yeah. out as we go further into these. Um, but before we go into the beach, we're actually going to go back to winter, so we're having a Christmas in July as well. Um, so I can't remember if I mentioned it, and I don't think I did because it hadn't come out yet and nobody had announced it, but I did the liner notes for Retro Media's uh, Blu-ray release of Snow Beast. Yeah, it's Yay. a great Blu-ray. Yes, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. I do know, I will say there's a caveat to the liner notes. Um, he could only fit in part of my liner notes because he had to put it in the insert. And he didn't put in a booklet. And so it's only like a third of what I wrote. So it's like a third of my liner notes. But I'm really excited to be in it. Um, Fred Olin Ray, who owns Retro Media, um, is amazing. And he he's a huge fan of Snow Beast. And he put together the Blu-ray with a lot of love. And to be on it is an honor because I think it's a great film. And if anybody wants to go back and listen to our uh, Snow episode where we covered that, Whiskey Live to Death. Um, it's just a few episodes oh, back man. on iTunes. But we're gonna. I got an extra copy of the Blu-ray thanks to Fred Olin Ray. So we are going to give one away to one lucky listener, but we're going to make it a mini-sode. So you have to participate more than just sending in your name. So uh, like usual, I always say I'm going to be super prepared when I do these podcasts, and then I'm not. And so when I wrote you guys to ask about if you were willing to do a contest and do this game that we're going to play, um, I said I was going to finesse the language for the rules, and then I didn't think about it again after I told you that. So I just copied this out of the email, and hopefully it'll make sense to people listening. And I'll write it again on the website and direct people throughout the month to it. But this is how you enter. So I need listeners to pair Snow Beast up with their other favorite uh, TV movie monster, uh, like the Gargoyle or the Zuni Fetish Doll. Um, and it could even be a human monster. Like, you could argue that Bad Ronald is a human monster. He's not. He's this wonderful teenager that was misled but like if you want to use them as your monster you can so we're leaving it open to anything you want and then we want you to write a short synopsis um like one or two paragraphs about um your monster mashup so you can add a cast you can have a director or screenwriter um you can even throw in ratings or what network it aired on you can make it as creative as you want and by creative i mean you could throw in all that in or you could just have a really good story it doesn't matter um and so the example that i sent to everybody and hopefully this makes sense because i haven't looked at it yet uh since i sent it to Dan and Nate, but I wrote, so for example, someone could suggest a Snow Beast versus the Zuni Fetish Doll matchup, and in this telefilm, um, Karen Black's friend, Karen Valentine, inherits the Zuni doll and takes it on a ski vacation with her and her boyfriend, played by Monty Markham. Markham is a recovering alcoholic, and nobody believes him when he says the Zuni doll is alive. One night, he chases him out into the resort, and they run into the Snow Beast, and the Zuni doll and the Snow Beast have to fight to the death. 
So like something like that, right? And then um, just make it as creative as you want. Um, you will send your answer in, and I don't have a due date yet, but probably I, we record like once a month, so um, I'll have the due date up on the website. I'll promote it on the social media, but sometime in August probably. Um, and then you would just send it to tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. I would like everyone to play, but unfortunately we can only enter U.S., citizens because I can't afford to send it overseas it's just too expensive for me but if you live in another country and you want to go ahead and do a write-up and send it in so what we're going to do is we're going to take we're all going to come up with our own as well and then we're going to take four or five ones that we really like and then we'll read them on the uh, on the air but everyone um, who enters uh, who sends me something gets their name put in a pot so and if we don't read yours it doesn't mean it wasn't good we're just going to try to keep it like a half hour show or something uh, or maybe an hour so um, that's going to be our next episode and it's going to be really fun um, I know some people kind of got into the ones where we did the where I pick a, like a generic sounding TV movie and we all create what the movie probably is um, and, and actually our friend Shannon created some artwork for that which I have on the site and um, and so I know a lot of you kind of get into it, so I thought it'd be a really fun way for us all to participate together. And that's it. I'll let you guys know when that is live and when you can start sending in your things. And I'll reprint the email and the directions on how to enter. So, um, yay. Okay. I feel like Hooray. I forgot how to podcast again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I just say one thing? Um, sure. The, the Snow Beast Blu-ray, it, it's it's a really good one. Not only does it have these great liner notes, but it has two different versions of the movie, which yes. both look really darn good. And it's got a commentary from David Dakota and uh, Fred right. Olin Ray, which is re- – they seem to really be two big TV movie fans. They really know their stuff, which is cool. So. I can tell you that Fred Olin Ray is a huge TV movie fan. We've talked um, – through mm. the years since I've started my Facebook page on my my blog's Facebook page and mm-hmm. he contacts me uh, from time to time to ask about TV movies and um, he's so into it and he makes TV movies now you know a lot of his movies get um, mm. picked up by uh, like cable channels and I, I've noticed that a lot of filmmakers actually have come on my uh, blog's Facebook page and I think that's because uh, filmmakers understand how difficult it is to make TV movies and they appreciate them and mm-hmm. they also grew up on them a lot of filmmakers are cinephiles right so yeah. like they watch everything um, but he's he's true blue I don't know Dave Dakota um, but I wouldn't be surprised that mm-hmm. he's also a TV movie fan so that's awesome um, I really need to see, I probably should have watched it before I <laughs> but anyway <laughs> it happens um I'm, I'm having another really busy unexpected month so um and then the second thing i'm going to pimp just real quick and quickly and only because it falls in line with our first feature tonight is that i wasn't able to announce it on our last episode but um i did the blu-ray commentary for screen factory's release of someone's watching me uh, which is a John Carpenter TV movie from 1978 starring Lauren Hutton. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm so glad it's getting this Blu-ray release. And it's coming out August 7th. And um, it should be good times. If you haven't seen the movie, I think you'll really enjoy it. If you have seen the movie, you probably love it. And um, if you listen to the commentary, be kind. Um, I'm still new at this, but I'm really excited about it. And the reason why I bring it up is because our first film, Zuma Beach, was actually written by John Carpenter, who wrote many, many, many films and during this era of his career, uh, some of which didn't come out until the 90s and later and were made for television. So he has a, actually a really interesting TV movie career, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But for now, we're just going to dive right into the synopsis. So, Dan, are you ready? 
I am. I am. So Zuma Beach is the story of Bonnie Cat, Suzanne Summers. And Bonnie, from, from what I could gauge, uh, she's a singer-songwriter, and she's had uh, one big hit, but hasn't been able to follow that up. And her producer is kind of sending her on a four-month hiatus to come back uh, with her next big hit. And so Labor Day weekend, she takes off for Zuma Beach, where she grew up uh, going. She grew up going to that beach, building sandcastles, hanging out there. And she arrives at the beach and is kind of told, you know, you're you're kind of an o- older person for this beach. It's kind of a teen beach, and apparently a lot of kids from Van Nuys High hang out there. And this is sort of being the end of summer. You've got all these uh, high school kids there. And they're all waiting. On, well, they're hanging out, uh, hitting on each other, goofing around, and waiting on later in the afternoon. They're playing sort of a, a final summer volleyball game with Malibu High. And I'm not going to go too in depth because um, I don't know if you all remember when I tried to talk about High School USA and got so so caught up and so lost. I'm just going to say basically you get you get people falling in love, people falling out of love. You get uh, an older lifeguard training a younger lifeguard who looks a lot like Jim Hutton. And you get all sorts of different characters hitting on each other, goofing around, getting in fights with each other. You get sandcastle building. You get volleyball games. You get all this stuff. And standing at the center of it is the, the calm soul of Suzanne Summers, and I'm just, I'm just going to leave it leave it there, and we can talk about the characters as we get to them. So that that's the very basics of the movie. Okay, so let's just get started with uh, our thoughts. So I know this is a first time viewing. I bl- I know for Nate, I'm pretty sure, and for you too, Dan, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so let's start with Nate. Nate, what did you think of Zuma Beach? Um, I loved it. I thought that there was nothing dull in it, while. I didn't necessarily find it to be like a laugh out loud movie. I thought it was a very, I don't know, just cute, you know, um, quick paced film, probably because there's so many characters and they've all got their own little storylines going on. And I like movies like that. Um, uh, And of course, I mean, how can I, I mean, this movie is so, I don't know. It's, it's so innocent and upbeat to me. That's funny that the most dramatic scenes revolve around, um, a volleyball game and a sandcastle. I mean, that's the most (laughs) dramatic moments in the whole movie. That's what it revolves around. So I thought that was, um, made it very well. I I thought, um, what you said, uh, earlier when we were talking about it, how, um, it's it's a little unrealistic that all these guys aren't fawning all over Tanya Roberts. I mean, <laughs> I know that Suzanne Summers is the main character, so I totally get that. But I'm like, come on. I mean, they would be they would all be, all be about Tanya Roberts too. She wouldn't be this like one that's not getting dates or something like that. No, I don't buy that at all. Um, it's upsetting. It's upsetting. I because even I would have hit on her. <laughs> you know. Um, Yes. <laughs> and it was so it was a lot of fun seeing PJ Souls in this too because I'm a big PJ Souls fan. And I imagine this was filmed before Halloween, even though they were both in 78, but I imagine this is summer. Right. Halloween is fall, so I don't know exact filming dates for either film. But I'm going to assume this was filmed first. Um so it's a shame that she goes on to get strangled. Yikes. <laughs> Not in this movie. But it does end up happening. Well, she also uh, must have dumped um, her boyfriend after that whole love affair and getting back to him because she ends up with Bob. Yeah, she goes to Bob, doesn't she? <laughs> Where's my beer? Got your someone <laughs> got your ghost, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> She's likable in just every movie I see her in. Yeah. I find her to be a very likable character, and I like her little scenes with um, 
Suzanne Summers, where Suzanne's kind of giving her advice and stuff like that. I thought that was a very, um, it was kind of like a big sister kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I love the arm punching scene because, you know, they're they're going to like show each other by punching each other in the arm multiple times. Although it looked like it hurt to me. It did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, very excited that Timothy Hutton got to be lifeguard in the end, even though he wants to smoke and drink and <laughs> all the things that lifeguards apparently aren't supposed to be doing. Um, but he still got to be the lifeguard in the end and he gets his applause. So, you know, that's always nice. But no, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's a very fun movie. Um, it's definitely not serious. And any drama in it is just kind of minor drama. Um, so it's not very heavy handed or anything like no. that. I mean, it's just your typical fun beach movie. So I would very much highly recommend it. You know, it's interesting what you say about how it's like light, but for the kids in the movie, it was like life or death in a way like the PJ souls and her boyfriend, who's I'm forgetting his name. Mark Wheeler mm. is the actor. I think, um, David, right. Was his name, David and, Hunter, David Hunter. And, um, and you know, they went back and forth and David was real. Like he looked like David Cassidy, but he had like a Marlon Brando, like undercurrent. He got real upset a lot. And like, he was making like this decision about whether or not to go to a really good school and learn engineering or travel around with Stephen Keats character. And, and it's interesting because at the time the, that seems like, that's everything and it is to a degree but like as an older person watching it you kind of realize that these are just little things that happen in our lives you know and um and so there is a light touch to them too because i think it is told from the young person's point of view but also with almost like this older person's sort of guidance on that you know things are going to work out no matter what sort of thing that because most teenagers land on their feet after a lot of their what sound like the worst dramas ever do you know what i mean what's funny it's it's funny that you say that because I was watching a movie. I cannot remember what it was now. My mind has completely gone blank on me. But it was something I watched when I was a kid. And I remember as a kid, I was totally against the adults. The kids in it, I, was, I totally saw where they were coming from and things like that. But I, when I watched it again as an adult, like my whole opinion had shifted because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an adult now. Mm-hmm. So I see things differently than I did back then. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that's really good writing. There's actually a movie called First Affair uh, with um, Melissa Sue Anderson and Joel Higgins from Silver Spoons and uh, Loretta Swit. And when I was a kid, I came, it debuted when I was like 12 or something. And I was all about Melissa Sue Anderson's character and what she was going through. And, and I just totally disregarded Loretta Swit, who plays like a 40-year-old woman in it. And But her husband's had an affair, right? And so she... And now that I'm older and I watch it, I'm totally like, oh, my God. Like, I can so relate to what her character's going through in terms of the emotion. Like, what would that be like for me? Do you know what I mean? And so, like, and it's so funny how how my opinions have switched. Not that I think Melissa Sue Anderson's character is horrible, but at the time I was more invested in her character because we were closer in age. And it was something that she was going through and done in a way that a young person deals with it. But then when you get the older person's point of view, as you get older, you're like, oh, gosh. Yeah, I totally get it. So that's just really good writing, um, I think. Um, So anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I just wanted to uh, say that because I was kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying but i mean with with zuma beach um i'm I'm really glad that uh we covered it uh just because like i said it was just a i don't know it was just a fun movie and sometimes you're just in the mood to watch a fun movie yeah for sure it definitely it definitely feels like summer when you watch it right oh yes 
So, Dan? Yay, everybody. Um, uh, I, I'm going to agree with the Tanya Roberts thing. It's, it, they're, they're, it's really weird because there are all these sort of ensemble crowd scenes. And, you know, up, up in front, you have like Rosanna Arquette and, and Kimberly Beck and, and, and um, uh, PJ Souls. But then sort of this, there's this beautiful statuesque woman in the background and no one's paying attention to her. It's almost, I, I kept thinking of uh, Vanna White and Graduation Day, you know, when it's like all these other characters are running around and then suddenly, hey, there's Vanna White and no one's really paying attention to her. You know, it's like, this is, how, how are you not all seeing this woman here? Um, but, uh, well, my, my thoughts on the movie is, are, is I, I think this is a movie that I need to watch more. Um, because the first time I watched it, I didn't quite know what it was going to be. I laughed once, actually at Suzanne Summer, uh, who I don't, find it particularly funny um and so i, I didn't I, I liked all all the different characters and I, I thought it moved pretty well but i got to the end and i was kind of like eh. then i watched it a second time and i liked it a little more and i i think this is one of those movies where um uh just a, sh- a couple examples um uh the movie uh the last slumber party and uh jacques tati's trafic were two movies that the first two or three times i watched them they just didn't hit me but then, like the third or fourth times, I suddenly watched them, and I was like, "These movies are brilliant." The Last Slumber Party is clearly one of the best movies ever, and Trafic is fantastic. So I think Zuma Beach is going to be like this for me. I'll watch it a third time, maybe a fourth time, and suddenly it will all click in. But I, I didn't love it. But that's not to say that I'm not going to love it. I love, I love all the characters. I love the fact that the majority of it takes place um, more or less like nine in the morning to like five in the evening sort of thing. It, it's it apart from the opening scene, it's all during the day, and it's very um, energetic. It's a lot of fun. A lot of great actors. A lot of great bits. Um, uh, I will say I, I got slightly confused the. The, there's the opening scene with Suzanne Summer at her at the studio talking to her producer, and they have a conversation that goes on very long and left me confused by the end of it because uh, I thought so she's had one big hit and all her other hits haven't have failed or she just had the one hit or I uh, mm, I got a little lost in what exactly was going on. Plus um, the moment where he says to her something like you have. Four months to go and write one song reminded me of Rock and Roll Nightmare when they arrive at the house and Thor says, we've got 10 minutes, uh, we got one month to come up with 10 minutes of good new material. I thought four months to write one song, seriously. But Suzanne Summer is lovely in it and it's, 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 yeah, it's a, it's got some great uh, sort of faux Beach Boys songs yeah, in it, it does. which is great. Um, and uh, the, the head lifeguard, the one who retires at the end, reminded me a bit of a Tackleberry from the Police Academy mm, movies. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he had sort of that same sort of feel to him if Tack, if Tack uh, had a little more sort of social graces. Um, but I think, I think it's definitely worth watching. I just think I, the two times I watched it, I didn't quite watch it right. And I think that will happen in the future. And I'll report back. But those, those are my basic thoughts on it. You know, that's interesting because, um, so I've seen this movie twice now. I actually uh, covered it with the Movies About Girls podcast, and I can't really remember 
what was said, and I was going to go back and listen to it, and I just didn't get a chance. I do know that I defended um, Suzanne Summer's bathing suit. <laughs> a couple oh, of people yeah. really hated it, and I kind of get it. And you'll notice in a lot of the promo materials, it's a darker blue. And um, and I, I don't think the bathing suit itself is, there's anything wrong with it, but I do like the darker blue color that they've colored it for home video releases. Um, but uh, that's all I remember them really talking about. I think people were split on it because... It is a really sweet film, but it's also in a way sort of mimicking like the more grindhousey beach movies of the era, and mm-hmm. so, but without any of the grindhousey stuff yes. that you would see yeah. in it. And so I could see people who are used to those kind of films sort of maybe being disappointed in it because there is no nudity and and because there's no like illicit drug use or whatever. You you know what I mean? All, all the that best. yeah, all that stuff you see in those types of movies. So it's like it's like a totally clean up version of that. But it also so a lot of those movies are really interesting though because. Because they can be really character driven. I can't remember if it's Malibu Beach or Malibu High, but one of those is really good. Like it's it's surprisingly good in how it handles its characters, and Zuma Beach is kind of mimicking that, but without the ability to have cursing or nudity, you know. Mm. And it does, I think, a really good job. And it's interesting. I was thinking about it uh, this week. Is that John Carpenter himself is a musician? And so I thought it was interesting that he wrote this movie about a musician. And I, too, thought it was strange that he told him to take four months, told her to take four months to write one song. Because a lot of people, a lot of bands put albums together in just in four months, entire yeah. albums, you yeah. know, and like long, big albums. So I get it and I don't get it. But I, you're right. I think that's odd. And maybe John Carpenter at the time, maybe he took a long time writing music. I don't know. But it would have been interesting if he'd scored this, like with the heavy synth. Instead of the beach boy, (laughs) that would have been so good. But I will say, some of it bothered me. Now, I love this film, and and this is just a personal quibble, and it's only because we're living in the hashtag Me Too generation. But Stephen Keats' character and some of the boys in Uh it are really aggressive. And just a few years ago, I would have watched this movie, and I did, and not think twice about the way they're sort of really pushing themselves on these women. And now I'm watching it, and I'm thinking... I mean, I would have thought Stephen Keats was creepy, let's face it. The character's really interesting, and we'll talk about him. But So Stephen Keats is this guy who's older. I'm assuming he's like 30, and he's the guy who like takes your money t- for your parking on the beach. And he's like the cool older guy that hangs out with all the kids and offers advice. And he's got a kind of a different story for every kid, depending on what they're going through. But he's always he's always like a 23-year-old prodigy of some major corporation or some major type of business. And he walks away from all the boats and the cars and the women so he can live life for real. And he tells everybody a different version of the story. But he also has this really weird relationship with Rosanna Arquette for one mm. and maybe Tanya Roberts I can't remember at the end during the volleyball game one of them is draped over his shoulders do you remember oh, yeah. this and he's yeah. surrounded by two other women and it's really creepy but anyway um, I have a clip here of him uh, when he first comes on the scene coming your way all Labor Day I will be the judge of King Raja. hey Jerry <laughs> Beverly! Lamps are dim. Cheeks, they're all flush. Must have been a very intense week. (laughs) And what do we have here? A pretty new face. Nice to meet you. Why, thanks, y'all. 
with my cousin Kathy from Houston. If the sun don't shine, the only burn you'll get is from the jocks. Room with the view. Put it next to the Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> creep he's a creep so he gets in the car with kimberly beck this 17 year old girl and he sits next to her and and he comes on to her and i didn't like it no i totally can can see what you're saying uh it's just like there's a lot more awareness now that there wasn't at the time right so i think that you would see stuff like in these movies that wouldn't necessarily fly today for but sure. back then, it, it, it does. Or, I mean, it, it did um, at the time because they weren't called out, I guess. Well, I was then. super aware of... So when Suzanne Summers first is heading to Zuma Beach, Perry Lang and this... I can't remember the actor's name. I love him, though. Um, he's been in lots of stuff. Dark-haired guy. Um, and he's like, oh, my God, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. So they pull up next to her. And he does this thing that is really horrible and uh horrible if you're a woman and i think most girls listening would probably relate to this but he tells her to smile oh yeah and i hate that and all women hate that and that's a big thing that guys do uh to women and i don't think there's any necessarily ill will behind it but women don't go up to men and go hey smile for me you know what i mean it's like a real condescending thing and i know when he's doing it he's not i don't think there's any bad feelings or he's being sleazy but it stood out to me as like these things that these guys were doing with some of these women and i was like whoa i i i think the first time i watched it the mix of that opening scene with the producer which i thought was kind of overwritten and went on for a long time uh followed by that scene made me think i am really going to dislike this movie and then as it goes along, I mean, a lot of the first half hour or so of the movie is just guys going up to women and hitting on them. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes I turned away. Um, but then eventually it sort of settles into a better groove than that. But I think, yeah, I think that, yeah, that scene where they're driving alongside her, all I could think was get get hit. Just have a yeah. car come around a curve and just hit you. You guys are driving up the wall. And then when they actually get to the beach, and I'm like, oh, these are continuing characters. And the thing I love about um, Perry Lang is, uh, is he's he's the blonde guy, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's the one, um, when they're looking at um, uh, Suzanne Summer and, and they're they're kind of thinking about hitting on her again. And he, he, he kind of looks at his friend and he's saying like, let, let me show you how a master does it. But it's great because there's a close-up on him and he has a very pronounced lisp. Yeah. So he's like, let me show you how a master does it. And I'm like, that's, I don't know that that's terribly convincing with the list. Well, I think that's what's so great is that there's a lot of equality once they're on the beach between the females and the male characters. Because, the, yes. like, and we'll, and we'll play the Perry Lane clip here in a second. But, um, oh, yes. Because she definitely gets her comeuppance um, with him. But also, do you remember the one guy walks up to Kimberly Beck when she's uh, standing right by the waves? And he's, like, oh, hitting yeah. on her. She, like, flips him over. Yes, yes. And she's done. She's done. She's like, sorry. Yeah. So anyway, let me play this clip of Perry Lane because I think this is great. Uh, Suzanne Summers' response to him. Glad you could make it here today. I was worried no classy women would show up. Could I possibly share some sand? It's a public beach. Can't stop you from sitting. No, Missy, I guess you couldn't. <laughs> My name is William Sean. But my very close friends, they call me Billy. <laughs> How about yourself? What's my name? 
but my close friends call me Sugar. <laughs> Sugar? <laughs> That's a terrific name. Uh, very uh, sweet, one might say. You go to Van Nuys High School? What? Van Nuys High School? Sure. I mean, sure, I, I went to high school, but that was several years ago before graduating from Harvard. Harvard? That's in Boston. Oh, a Harvard man. Yes, ma'am. That's marvelous. What kind of work do you do now? Uh, T-shirts. T-shirts? Yeah, uh, uh, that's right, sugar. Uh, we sell them to the big and portly guys. Uh, it's kind of a huge business. <laughs> How about yourself? What do I do? Well, I used to be a... I'm just a person looking for something to do. Of course... Right now, the to-do is what I'm looking for. So, in the meantime, just a little R&R &R on the beach. Well, uh, I have a brand new 450 SL with leather seats that recline and a knockout tape deck. You can get some R&R &R with some cool breeze in your face. That's a terrific idea. Can I drive? The car? You want to drive the Red Bear? Yeah. I'm a good driver. Well, adequate. I'm an adequate driver. Well, all right is a better way of putting it. <laughs> you know, my mind sort of tends to wander from time to time. But if you just talk to me while I'm driving, I'll be fine. How about we just sit in the car and listen to music? Drive is a terrific idea. You know, and if I sit on the passenger side, I get cars there. Well, I have to drive, you know. Let's go. No, please. Please. Uh, you know, I didn't realize... Holy smokes here. I, I didn't even realize. My mother's in the hospital, and uh, she can't limp to the car by herself alone. So, I better just be going. Uh, but maybe another time. I'll catch you later. You got right for the so that's so funny, Dan, what you say about his list, because I don't think that's Perry Lang's voice normally. So that's really? kind of a okay. funny character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch like Spring Break or Jocks or whatever. But I don't remember him sounding quite like that in those movies. Um, so that's kind of a cute trait. I mean, it's obvious he's trying to be something he's not when he's talking to her. Sure, so it's like yeah. really awkward delivery. And it's cute, you know. And then she's does, don't mess with the guy's car, man. Because <laughs> the only thing he likes more than the women is the car. So, yep, yep. <laughs> but I, I like uh, that. And so, a lot of the women have sort of like it, it goes on equal footing once they get there. But there's some stuff on the way to the beach that I was like, I don't like that. Yeah. 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 As much as I love Stephen Keats, and we'll talk about Stephen Keats, but um, and he's a complex character, maybe the most complex character in the actual film. But um, but he definitely has a sleazebag quality that yeah kept me on my my edge for and I, if and if can i just say i live in van nuys i'm not 100 percent sure where van nuys high is there is a high school right down the street not too far from here but it's not called van nuys high oh that got tore down in 1979 did it okay well yeah. there you have it yeah after you after the big malibu versus uh 
oh, and that tie game of 79, game. which was the year after this, and Malibu lost and they burnt down the school. Oh, my gosh. Can, can I say something about – so the, the movie sort of ends with this big volleyball game, and there's a – and it's one of those sequences where you're never quite certain until the very end. And they say, match point, Malibu, who's ahead or what exactly is going on? Because it's just a big montage. But then they shoot the, the final match point is shot to me in such a weird way because it goes on for minutes on end. Well, I don't know that it goes on that long, but it's sort of like the ball just keeps going from one side to the other, yes. one side to the other. And there hit a point I didn't get bored, but I found myself going kind of kind of like cross-eyed and kind of the screen went hazy and then all of a sudden it ended and I couldn't remember what was going on. And it it's it's weird because it doesn't really matter at the end with the, fi- I don't know if we're going to spoil the big uh, ending of the volleyball sure. game. I think we should let folks have that. I don't know. But, I mean, we'll talk about it, but, we, but don't forget the Sandcastle. So I guess we should talk about yeah. Norman a little. Norman is um, yes. probably my favorite character in the film. Uh, Biff Warren is the actor. Um, and he's this really geeky guy that's like really well read. He's not that geeky. I mean, he's really cute. He does, he does one of those things where when he takes his shirt off, he's a hunk. He's you totally know? He, a he, hunk. He was, he was hiding it, you know? Yeah, he's totally a hunk. I mean, he's right up my alley. I just thought he was the cutest thing ever. And so like... Um, but he's this geeky kid who can't seem to meet anybody, and um, and he sees Kimberly Beck, who's visiting from Houston, and she. And what's really interesting is um, Kevin Thomas wrote a review of this, and I'll read a couple of things about it. But one thing he said that really struck me, that I didn't write down, but I remember, is that Kimberly Beck and Biff Warren are playing types, but they're both so good at what they're doing that they rise above. The caricature, which is very mm. true, because she's this girl from Houston with a, a accent I've never heard in Houston. She's like deep south <laughs> accenting, yeah, and like yeah. you know what I mean. She's one of the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, yeah she's totally like, like yeah. in some town in Kentucky they haven't even discovered yet, right? And so like, <laughs> and so like, but she's supposed to be from Houston, and um, and she she's got her. She's an interesting character because she's likable and she's always likable. But I mean, like Rosanna Arquette is her cousin. And they have a thing going on there that I don't fully understand. And they like mm-hmm. each other and don't like each other. And then there's a girl with, like, no dialogue who just hangs out with them. And then yes. <laughs> it's very pretty. She's like the blonde girl in Prom Night that's not one of the killers that's always with oh, Jamie yes. Lee Curtis. Yes. She's the yes. exact same yes. kind of character. Yes. And and Biff Warren is a geek. And it is just a type. But they're both so good at what they're doing with the characters that they rise above it. And so I think this might be a good place to give a really... Um, uh, a shout out that I've been wanting to give for Kimberly Beck for some time. So I just recently saw Friday the 13th Part 4 on the big screen, and which is my second time seeing it in the theater. But every time I watch it, I forget what a good final girl she is. She's so mm-hmm. underrated because she kicks ass, but she's also completely terrified. It's like such a realistic performance, mm-hmm. like the way she responds to Jason. And, um, and I always forget how good she is. And I, I kind of feel like Kimberly Beck is a really overlooked actress and I think yeah. that this is a good song um what do I want to say a good example of that um yes well, you know sorry to interrupt I just wanted to say about your Friday the 13th uh what you were saying about her and that that you know a lot of people focus on Tommy Jarvis in that one and and yeah. rightfully so I mean he is you know the main one that 
fights Jason at the very end. But I kind of agree with you. I feel like she really gets overlooked in that film. And I'm like, how many other actresses, or not actresses, but how many other characters, like Final Girls, would have jumped out that second story window <laughs> rather right. than yeah. deal with Jason? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. she's, she's screaming the whole time, and it's really terrifying and realistic, but she's also beating the crap out of him sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and I like that. It's like it's like a very, like of all the Final Girls, and don't get me wrong, I love Ginny. She'll always be my favorite. But there's something so real about that performance. That so so when I watch Friday Thirteenth Part Four, it's the only word I can think of real natural. That I think that's how I would have responded in that situation. She of all of them is the one that I relate to the most in terms of this is probably what I would do. I'm jumping out that window, right? And like <laughs> and if I'm stuck in a corner, I'm gonna beat him as hard as I can. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just such a good performance. And I I feel like she's she did something with Hitchcock when she was a little girl, right? She's a Marnie or something. Mm-hmm. I think, and she's had a really interesting career, but uh, she's an actress that a lot of people just don't talk about, and that's unfortunate. A, 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 few, a few months after this, she's in a BJ and the Bear episode with um, the lead gal from Humongous, whose oh, name wow. I'm forgetting at the moment, but Janet who I really Julian? like. Is it Janet Julian? Yes. Yep, yep. They play two sisters. It's like two, I forget if it's a mom and two sisters or three sisters who kidnap BJ in order to um, they help him haul some moonshine or something like that. And 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 it's it's a fun episode, and she's great in it. Well, once so. you're once you're in BJ and the Bear, you are solidified as a great actress because yeah. they have <laughs> Pam, Pamela Susan Shoup is a great actress. Yeah, and she yeah. was in three episodes. So, so that's your proof right there. But <laughs> um, um, anyway, so Biff is this geeky guy, and he sees her, Kimberly Beck's character, and he's that's it. That's it. And so her his friend goes over to hit on her, and that's when he she flips him over on the beach. And um, and it takes them a while, but they like each other, and it's really sweet. Like, their relationship is really sweet. And so they do this. They have this contest where they ride on each other's shoulders. So, like, a girl, they have this thing, the Sadie Hawkins kind of game, where the girl has to ask the guy, and they do, like, a race where the guy holds the girl on. Piggyback, kind of. Yeah, yeah. on her shoulder, on his shoulders, and then they run through this course sort of thing and if they whoever wins gets to spend like half an hour in like the lifeguard house and so they win Biff Warren <laughs> Norman and I can't remember Kimberly Beck's character I just want to call him Biff because oh, me... I can't believe that the actor's name was Biff first of all but um and Kathy. Kathy Kathy and and he's terrified so he's like, mm-hmm. I have a headache. And so, and she sits there for like 15 minutes and she kind of lets him go through his fear. And then she takes control of the situation. And she's like, you know what? Why don't I massage you? Which is such a typical high school thing, right? And like, and help you with that, that headache of yours. And next thing you know, they're making out. You know what I mean? And yep. it's like, and it's such a sweet, they're such a sweet couple in the film. Like you're rooting for him the whole way because he's really like, like, I don't want to say the characters are sleazy, but he's the least like aggressive. Yes. of the guys and he lets things happen um like you know some in some ways like she comes to help build the sandcastle that he and Suzanne Summers have started and she comes to help and at first he's really nervous but he gets really into the castle and putting it together and it's like he becomes more comfortable with her do you know what i mean and yeah. so like they develop like a friendship and it's it's really sweet it's done in like just a few scenes and just, over just a few minutes of the film but i think it's such a great scene uh, such a great story and i think that uh before was really good in it and i'm surprised that i haven't really seen him in anything else and and the the thing with their sort of romance too is she's i don't know when but she'll she'll be returning to houston soon i imagine that's right so so it's not gonna it's it's gonna be a kind of will she be coming back or will they just 
break up or what'll happen, but there's kind of a melancholy to it when you think of it like after the movie. I hate to keep referencing horror films, but it's just like the end of Sleepaway Camp 3, where the couple that survives, and he's like, oh, I'm going to totally visit you, and we're going to be like a great couple, and she's like, I have a boyfriend. And he's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. That was just her summer romance. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) I love the ending of that, because he's like, we're going to do this, and she's like, um, sorry. And and he's kind of okay with it. So I think think, think Norman will move on. But um, but you're right. It is. I was thinking about that about her leaving, and it is a little sad. Um, but yeah, so I think it's a really sweet little film, and I think it's interesting to. Um, well, we haven't talked about Stephen Keats' character at length, so I'd I'd like to kind of do that in him and Suzanne Summers. And what's so interesting is Suzanne Summers is like it's weird because she's through the film, and she's integral because she helps them with their little problems and stuff. But her problems never really get cleared up. I think she clears her head, but we're never quite sure how it's going to end. Yeah, if she for her. if she writes that song or what what happens? Yeah, it's it's all kind of left up in the air, and and it's interesting that she goes back to her sort of childhood or teenage place where she felt like she could have fun and get a little peace and quiet. And Stephen Keith's character is basically doing the same thing, but in a different way. He's running from himself, which I guess is what that theme song is indicating, and so. Um, they're both running away from things, but the way she's doing it is like she's growing while she's running and she goes back and you know, Stephen Keats is never going to go back. Yeah. He'll always run from himself. And that's what makes him such a compelling character because he reminds me of that character that Matthew McConaughey played in, um, Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where he's like, um, yeah. he's like, uh, the girl stayed this, I get older, but the girl stayed the same age. Mm-hmm. Remember that line from the film? Yeah. Yeah, and it's and I, I, I the thing I like about that character is that he's he's sort of the guru of the of the beach, as it were. But he's the guy who's in his job is he runs or is in charge of the best parking lot at the beach. <laughs> so sad. And there's so some, sad. there's something about that, like 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 when you see him show up, it's like there's no one on the beach, and he he pulls his car in and he pulls out like a director's chair that has his name on it, and he puts like cones in front of the five best spots that he'll reserve for people as they come in. And then his day is just, uh, what do you need? Uh, you got a good parking spot? Go down to the end. Give me, uh, you know, five bucks or whatever. And that's just, and it's, 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 he's an interesting character and he's always telling these stories. And like you said, he has a different story for everyone and he loves hitting on Suzanne Summer and, you know, some Arquettes. But um, yeah, he, he is an, he is an interesting character. I, you know, I don't know that I would watch another full movie with him in it, but if they did a Zuma Beach 2, I'd like to see how he developed, or yeah, Zuma Beaches. He's kind of a sad character. Like, you kind of feel like all the kids are yeah. going to be okay, but you you don't know what's going to happen to him. So he's asked um, David to uh, to go off with him to, like, just, like, bum around for a while. But what's so interesting about that is, so so David is the guy that's dating PJ Souls, and they had broken up before the movie starts, and now she's with this guy named JD, who's played by Michael Bean who's kind of like the bully. And we can talk mm. about that, too, because it's so wonderful, like, the way the film ends. But anyway, so so David has got a lot of aggression and a lot of problems because he's still in love with the PJ Souls character, and she's obviously still in love with him. And um, and the, part of the problem is is that he doesn't want to go to school, and he wants to, like, just kind of, like, live free for a while, which is a natural feeling a lot of teenagers have. But he's got this 
opportunity to go to like Stanford or something and do like something that will help him uh, design cars and be super successful. And so both his parents and PJ Souls have been pushing him. And I think they, they're inevitably pushing him away by accident. So he's really intrigued by the Stephen Keats character because he thinks Stephen Keats had that career that he would be working towards, but then left it. But then he says... Like halfway into the film, he's telling uh, Stephen Keats is telling the story about how he worked at some big law firm or something, and he walked away. The David character says, "Yeah, you know, I can go away for six months, and I can always come back, right?" And I'm waiting for Stephen Keats to say something like, "No," and he goes, "You sure, kid? You sure can, kid." And it's so encouraging, of like, mm-hmm. just because you leave now doesn't mean you can't continue that life when you get back. And so he's, I don't think he's like being a jerk. You know, I think he's got sleazy qualities, but I don't think yeah. he's a bad person. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking uh, if if Roseanne Arquette wanted to hang on me, um, I don't know that I'd be able to stop that from being something that happened. You know, I don't know that I'd be able to say, get off me or something like that. I There's got to so, be. Dan. I hope so. I, uh, She's seventeen. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. I'm good. I'll be good. But but um, I don't know if I have any more to say about him. Actually, I'm thinking about JD right now in the Sandcastle. Forgive me. Um. <laughs> well, we can skip it. I just think he's a really complex character, and yeah, so yeah. I, and I really I like him and I don't like him at the same time. And I think it's interesting because mm-hmm. of all the char- all the characters in the film, you kind of like get a full sense of who they are, and you feel like everything will be okay. But with Stephen Keats, there's this there's a sadness to him, and so yeah. it's it's interesting to have it in such a light film. And I, I thought too, there might be a moment when possibly uh, because him and Suzanne Summer have a, have a long chat together where he kind of offends her and then kind of apologizes. Right. But but then but then at the end, she gets in her car and just drives away. Like she just showed up, made a difference, and then left. She does. I mean, she kind of comes and waves her little magic wand and and um, and then goes back to her life. And it's so interesting because we really don't know much about her character except she's struggling with this one thing. And yes. um. And she just sort of shows up and and immediately becomes part of the story. And also something that's interesting about her is when David meets her, um, he he had broken up with PJ Souls, and he's instantly, like, smitten with her, like all the boys on the beach are. But he's having that monologue with himself of how he should talk, approach her, you know, Mm. like next time he sees her. Oh, yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah, In the bathroom. And Tanya Roberts and her friend are giggling about it. They're like, oh, he's in there talking to himself about a girl he likes. And so Suzanne Summers starts listening, and then it's a he realizes it's about her and yet they never really pick that up again. No. And it's, it's, I, I always wondered throughout too, that they, they, in in the opening scene, the producer, uh, they say how popular her song was and who in 1978 is only making songs. This is in 1958. You make full albums in 1978. I'm not sure about, but, but there, there is a moment where, um, uh, oh gosh, I forgot what I was saying. Um, uh, oh, so when she's at the, the beach, um, she she doesn't sort of really talk about herself much until after the big sandcastle thing, right. and then she she kind of goes into this lengthy story, and it confused me because um, uh, and I believe you might have the the story standing by. We may I have do. heard a snippet from it earlier, and I, I was just going to say <laughs> right, right before you play it, it's it's interesting to me that there's never a point. It seems to me there's never a point where she tells the people who she is, and at one point there, you heard she she told what's his name, her full name. But no one ever says, oh, my gosh, I know your song. Or, oh, my yeah, gosh, you sang I thought the theme for too. Zuma Beach. I wondered if she was maybe a songwriter. 
Mm, okay. Okay. And that might be why they're asking okay. her to take so long for the song because it's, she's not writing an album. She's writing, but they don't. Cl- I don't think they've clarified that. That's just an assumption on my part. Okay. But yeah, let me play this clip. So I'm on stage. One light. It was an orange spot. It made me look like an owl. <laughs> I had a dead microphone, and there was a house full of drunks who were stomping their feet on the floor. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Why did she just walk off stage? Beverly, there are two rules a singer must live by. First, you never sing off key. Now, that's very important. (laughs) And second, you never turn your back on an angry mob. So I started singing very softly, and they started yelling for me to sing louder. I just smiled and kept it nice and soft. (laughs) And then suddenly they got very quiet. I got their attention. And there I was, just me up there singing my song, you know? (laughs) It was really fantastic. I mean, there's nothing like winning an audience. When did y'all get your record contract? Oh, that was about six months after. It's been a jet ride ever since. Well, how do you write a song? Do you wake up in the morning and have it over a cup of coffee? It's never the same twice. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, it comes to me in a dream, or sometimes when I'm driving down the freeway. When you're with your lover? I never mix business with pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure is my business. Then you must be very successful. <laughs> yes, smile a lot. It's good for starlings. Don't I? <laughs> what light through yonder window breaks? What's window breaking supposed to mean? <laughs> Come on, guys. Romeo's at the door. He's sleeping with Roseanne Arquette, isn't he? Could be. <laughs> they they sure love to laugh, don't they? I think I think every time every time she talks about her music, I understand a little less of what's going on. Yeah, I know. It's strange. It's strange. It's they are weird story. Like that's a slightly weird story. It doesn't fully make sense but um she thinks it does so i'm there for bonnie do you write it when you're with your lover like the way he (laughs) says that it's so like adult right like it's these two adults with all these teenagers and no no teenager talks about their lover you know what i mean and so Mm -hmm. uh, whatever jerry (laughs) i've got some real problems with you yet i still love you i don't i don't understand but um anyway we need to wrap this up so let's just briefly talk about jd so jd is the play by michael bean who i i wouldn't almost recognize he has like a baby face and um and he's the bully who like wants to ruin everything and he's trying to like get it on with pj souls and he's creating all these problems but he's kind of a sweetheart by the end of the film right and like Mm -hmm. and like um when norman confronts him so like they're going to play the volleyball game and he's like dude i totally want i don't want norman in my game because he's going to totally ruin it and then he starts to like kind of ruin the game for everybody else anyway Mm -hmm. and then david hunter is like 
you totally destroyed things. And he's like, no, Norman did. This is not a very good recreation, but just follow me. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and then they're like, is that the part where they start punching each other in the shoulders? And that's then, or that's earlier. Oh, I that's think. earlier. Okay. Then they kind of get into a fight or something. And then Norman's like, he stands up for himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he says something. And then, and then JD's like, all right, let's shake, man. And he's like, okay, that's cool. And then they're like friends. Yeah, it's perfect. He'll probably be a jerk again in a week or two, but you know, for the rest of the day, he's a nice guy. Yeah, don't that's they it. also even invite him to throw the old lifeguard into the that's ocean? Right. Yeah, as well? they do. They yeah. do. And he's all like smiling when he does it, and and <laughs> that reminds me just real quick. Um, so when they throw Suzanne Summers into the water, it's hysterical because she's got this. She has beautiful hair in the film, but like she's got this kind of weird side seventies bun that you do in the seventies that you would never do today. But it's super cute. And they throw her in the water, and she, her hair gets wet. And then in the next scene, it's dry, and the bun is still perfect. I'm like, that would never <laughs> happen in real life, guys. Okay, that's uh, so it, unrealistic. I hate this movie. <laughs> I hate this movie. J- I think JT is the sort of guy who's so sort of self-absorbed and so sort of a jerk that they they have the big montage where they build this enormous sandcastle, and he's oh, playing sorry. catch uh, football with a friend of his, and you've got like 50 people standing around this enormous sandcastle that they put this huge moat around. It's the biggest thing on the beach, and... The guy, the JD's friend, throws the ball to JD, and JD is so absorbed in catching the ball that he leaps over the crowd to catch the ball and lands on top of the sandcastle. He doesn't see this huge crowd. He doesn't see this enormous sandcastle. He's just the sort of guy who, hey, I'm JD. I had to catch the ball. Sorry, I ruined your sandcastle. He looks like and, perplexed why everybody even gives a crap about it. Yeah, that, that's that's true. And 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 the the uh, the thing I do like about that scene is after he destroys the sandcastle, and everyone's like, "You son of a!" Mm, Suzanne Summer just sta- or Bonnie just steps forward and says, "Come on, guys, we had fun making it. You know, it's just the sandcastle." You know, and I kind of like that sort of. Like I said, she's the calm center. Did she say at the she, eye she didn't say like guys? It's like to the coolest. It's a sandcastle, guys. Yeah, come on. Come and then it was such John Ritter, he trips over to and he falls into <laughs> That's right, it's such a John Ritter move. Yeah, so I mean, all the characters have a quality to them, I guess is what we're saying. That yes. That is, they do have likable qualities, even if they're unlikable. And um, and they're all interesting, even if they're just given a couple minutes of screen time. Or if they're just given two lines and they're so freaking beautiful like Tanya Roberts, you can't take your eyes off the goddamn oh. screen. <laughs> Right? So, (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of beautiful women in this film, but my God, Mm. my God. I'm trying to sound like Buck Flower at the end of um, (laughs) Criminally Insane. Criminally Insane. (laughs) (laughs) My God. How does he do it? I can't. I think that's that's, that's pretty cool. He goes, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I picture, that's how I feel about Tanya Roberts right there. Exactly. <laughs> I, well, I was looking at, um, there were some clips of Zuma Beach on YouTube, and one person responded and said, my God, Tanya Roberts, if God made something more perfect than her, he kept it for himself. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel about her. I can't it, stop it, myself. It, it was funny. I didn't. I didn't know she was in it. And the first scene when she shows up in the background for a brief second, I thought, "Is that Barbie Benton?" Oh, oh. no, it's Tanya Roberts. I'll take either. But it was just like, whoa. And yeah, she's uh, she's just walking around in a bikini, being gorgeous. I like the little chain she wears around her waist. Yes, that's right. Oh, my God. She's she's perfection. Yeah, I don't want to make this sleazy or anything, but Tanya Roberts Uh 
is my world right now because I just saw Tourist Trap on the big screen like two weeks oh, ago. Wow. And, nice. you know, she walks around looking beautiful in that film, too, and you just can't take your eyes off the screen when she's on it. And then in Charlie's Angels, you know, a lot of people kind of, like, diss the last couple seasons of Charlie's Angels, but she's really good in it, and she's stunning because they, mm. they dyed her hair like this red color, and she has those beautiful gray eyes. Mm. And it's like it's like Meg Foster times ten. You know what I mean? Nice. It's like yeah. it's like the most otherworldly creature you've ever seen on this planet, and you can't believe it exists. And mm-hmm. and that's how I feel about her. I and, and and I think she's great too. I love her as a person. I just want to put that. I'm not objectifying her, but uh-huh. <laughs> but she is she's incredible to look at. She's perfect, and she's however. Uh, Nate, could you do that again for me? Could you do your buck flower? My God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's it. That's right. Okay, so let's let's all wrap this up so I can do the background and we can get to the next film so Nate can mm-hmm. stick with us. But anyway, so we all love Tanya Roberts and um, everybody should see Zuma Beach because it's pretty yeah. good. Um, so what I'll tell you is it ran on NBC on September 27th, 1978. It ran against uh, Three Days of the Condor on CBS. And strangely enough, on ABC it ran against Charlie's Angels, pre-Tanya, yeah. um, and an episode of Vegas. Uh, the ratings weren't great. It was uh, brought in a 17.6 slash 29, which means that it uh, 17.6 um, homes with televisions were tuned in, representing 29% of the audience. It placed uh, number 132 out of 314 TV movies to air that year. It's not bad for top third, I guess, almost, sort of. Kind of. Kevin Thomas of the LA Times, uh, he really loves Zuma Beach. He said he could feel Summer's presence even when off camera. He said she had a quote-unquote natural, naturalness. I'm sorry, I can't even say that word, naturalness. And quote-unquote personality. Um, and I love this Suzanne Summers before they really dippied her up on Three's Company. Um, you know, because she's a really good actress. And something I think it's important to remember about Suzanne Summers. Um, this is where I go on my little feminist tirade, so um, people can fast forward if they're not into it. But do you remember when she was on Three's Company? She was asking for as much money as John Ritter, and she got a really bad reputation. Yeah. And this yep. is coming yes. back to that whole Me Too thing. So, looking back at that, at the time, it seemed so outrageous. Why is she doing that? Shouldn't she be happy to be on a show and blah blah blah? But you know, they really exploited her beauty and they really like made her show off her breasts and like do a lot of things that you could get away with on television and basically use her body as a way to bring in viewers and yet she got like a third of what John Ritter was getting and now that I look back on that I think wow she's such a pioneer to stand up and and she basically destroyed her career for a long time after that uh, she didn't I should say the media destroyed it and the and the th- people of Three's Company destroyed it and I really admire her because she's obviously a very talented actress, and I think this film proves it. And something uh, my husband and I were reflecting on is that she went on to do She's the Sheriff and Step by Step. And mm-hmm. you never hear stories about her acting up on those shows. You know what I mean? Like that whole reputation came out of, I think, people being upset that she dared to want to make as much money as her co star. And she was just as big of a draw as John yeah. Ritter. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying respect. I have a lot of respect yeah. for Suzanne Summers, and I think that this film really shows off her talent. And I think Kevin Thomas was right to call that out in his review. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm going to move on. I'm done with my little feminist <laughs> rant. But um, the reason why Kaylee Cuoco, whatever her freaking name is, on um, Big Bang Theory makes as much as her male co-stars is because of women like Suzanne Summers. But she hates feminism, by the way. That's all. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it mm. there before mm. I get going. 
Okay, so <laughs> so this was Brian Grazer's first producing credit. After this, he also produced the TV movie Thou Shall Not Commit Adultery with Robert Reed and Burt Convey, and you know I was all over that film. Um, and so you probably know Brian Brian Grazer, I'm sorry, best for movies like Apollo 13 and Backdraft. He also produced Closet Land, which surprised me, with um, Alan Rickman, which is um, is it Alan Rickman and Madeline Stowe? It's a really good movie. Um, John Carpenter was basically a writer for hire at this time. Um, he had penned several scripts, uh, many of which, like I said, became TV movies throughout the years. Um, like he did a movie called Blood River, which he actually wrote for Elvis Presley and John Wayne. And it ended up being made years later. And don't laugh because it's a really good movie. <laughs> but Elvis Presley, I can't even stop laughing now. Elvis Presley was replaced with Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> and John Wayne was replaced with Wilford Brimley but I'll tell you something it's a really good movie it's a wow. really good movie it's a western it was made for CBS and it aired in like the mid to late 90s and it's really charming um, so he wrote that around the same time so he also wrote a movie called Fangs I talk about all these on the Someone's Watching Me um, commentary so I won't go too into it but he also did this TV movie called Fangs which was a writer for hire gig in the late 70s but it ended up uh, getting produced in the 90s with Harry Hamlin and um, John Carpenter doesn't have a lot of uh, nostalgia for that one but I think it's an okay movie for what it is um, uh, also that year um, Carpenter wrote the TV movie Better Late Than Never which I've been looking for for so long and it was directed by Richard Crenna and it starred Harold Gould and it has to be the best movie ever made and I cannot <laughs> cannot find it and supposedly according to John Carpenter in an old interview he did in 1978 or 79 he he co-wrote it with Deborah Hill but she's not credited on IMDb so she may be an uncredited writer on it anyway uh it's got to be amazing and if anybody knows where I can get it let me know um so uh his co-writer was William A. Schwartz, who was mostly an episodic guy. This was his first TV movie. Uh, director Lee H. Katzen was uh, predominantly a TV director. His first TV movie was Hondo and the Apaches in 1967. Um, uh -huh. He's actually behind a lot of classics. Uh, he directed um, Savages with Andy Griffith, Along Came a Spider with Suzanne Plachette, Strange Homecoming, which is a super, super amazing underrated TV movie with Robert Culp. Um, and Glenn Campbell. He did The Voyage of the Yes with Desi Arnaz and Mike Evans, which is excellent and was streaming on Amazon Prime for free for a while if anybody wants to see that. And he did a Monty Markham TV movie called Visions, which was written by uh, somebody Dan probably loves and doesn't even know, Paul Playton. He wrote Escape. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's, and Visions is really good. I think you might enjoy it um, if you haven't mm -hmm. seen it. And he, this year, in 1978, he directed three telefilms, Zuma Beach, Sky Heist, and The Bastard. And I think Suzanne Summers was actually in Sky Heist. Yes. Um, so Biff Warren actually died at a very young age. That's the guy who played Norman um, from AIDS. His whole life is sort of clouded in mystery. Um, I found a website and I sort of just browsed it. That was sort of the story of his life, but they even had a hard time piecing stuff together. Uh, I think his first movie was Chatterbox, which you might remember as that oh, exploitation wow. movie yes. from the 70s. Um, he actually became a talent agent um, after he became an actor, and then he left the business altogether. And I believe he got into something like real estate development or something, and then he passed away. Um, Perry Lang is now a director. Uh, he's worked on so many shows. Um, the two most notable ones I saw in his filmography were Weeds and NCIS LA, but he's done a ton of stuff. Um, he's a, he's a really good actor and, um, he's an alligator. I guess that's probably my favorite film of his. Um, Stephen Keats, uh, actually served in Vietnam and, um, he committed suicide in the nineties. Um, I think he was amazing. Um, I just rewatched him in Death Wish, where he plays uh, Charles Bronson's son-in-law, and it's a totally different performance. If you want to see his range, watch Zuma Beach and then watch Death Wish, and I think you'll see um, how talented Stephen Keats was. Uh, 
Rosanna Arquette made uh, Dark Secret of Harvest Home the same year she made Zuma Beach. Um, her first appearance uh, was actually a TV movie called Having Babies 2. And I think all the Having Babies movies, there's three of them, are airing on Amazon Prime, if you want to check those out. Uh, so Janice Blythe from The Hills Have Eyes and Spine is in this movie somewhere. And guess what? She doesn't really? play Linda. <laughs> okay. Oh, Linda. I know. I she could be anyone. Just, I, hope, I hope everybody gets that joke. Um, Timothy Hutton's debut uh, was this film. Aside from an uncredited role in 1965 in a film called Never Too Late, he then made a string of television films, including Friendly Fire, uh, Best Place to Be, which is uh, something I'm not familiar with, uh, and Baby Makes Six with Colleen Dewhurst, which is so, so good. Um, Young Love, First Love, which he did with uh, Valerie Bertinelli, which is also excellent. He was in The Oldest Living Graduate, and then he did two Disney, those Sunday night movies they used to air, and then yeah. he did Ordinary People. So. So yeah. that's his whole filmography up to Ordinary People. Delta Burke is in an uncredited role in this film. I couldn't find her either. No, she's not, also not Linda. And um, and Summer sang that song that I mentioned at the beginning. That's the Zuma mm -hmm. Beach theme, and she sang it. And that's my background for Zuma Beach. So are we ready to move on to Hustler of Mustang yes. guys? Okay, great. Let's do it. Let's do it this way. <laughs> song better is if richard hatch had sung it i thought he did oh that's too bad yeah it's really too bad and if he did i feel bad that i didn't look it up but anyway i love that <laughs> song all these songs are going on my ipod guys okay so <laughs> so uh dan why don't you tell us a little bit about hustler of muscle beach all right uh richard hatch plays nick demick who um calls himself an idea man and a hustler and we first see him in new york city pitching to some promoters the idea of something like Malibu and Madison Square Garden, which the promoters look at him and go, no, get out of here. Uh, then we see Nick uh, with his dad, and we, we only see his dad in one scene. I thought, but that, his was dad... his, I thought that was his uncle. Oh, is that his uncle? Because his nephew, I thought it was his nephew who came out to greet him. Oh, that's right. It could be his uncle. Yeah, I'm this, sorry. This okay, is yeah. important uh, because of something that happens later in the film, so I'm pretty sure he's his uncle. Okay, sorry about that. Um, okay. But uh, but uh, you, you learn that sort of Nick has had a lot of attempts at various trades and things, and he's always kind of failed at them. But Nick says he's an idea man, and he wants to go out to Hollywood and make it big. And his uncle Joe gives him a check for six hundred bucks and and the old Mercury. And so Nick heads out to Los Angeles, and we see him over the next few minutes, sort of pitching ideas and running out of money. And then gradually, like eating, I forget the name. Uh, is it like Stan's Hots or something, something like, like that? that I yeah. 
Yeah, at, at eating at like a like a, a joint along the beach, kind of, and and doing that thing where when he he suddenly gets the check and he suddenly gets sick to his stomach, and uh, Stan says, "Oh, the the meal is free," but uh, Jenny O'Rourke, played by Kay Lenz, um, uh, the waitress, very sassy waitress, uh, doesn't buy it and makes him actually wash dishes in order to pay back the money. Wah-wah. Then we then we see. Um, uh, we see Nick the next day, and he's dressed as Uncle Sam, distributing like uh, leaflets for some place or other. And he meets uh, this very big guy named Todd Nash. Oh, fine, John. Come on, folks, step right up. Hey, gentlemen over there in the yellow shirt, how about you? How about some yellow beads, purple beads, green beads, all kinds of beads? Who are you? Uncle Sam, can't you tell? Come on, folks, step right up here. We have the most beautiful shells, purple sequins, any color of the rainbow. Are you really Uncle Sam? Come on, folks, Uncle Sam's selling a deal to you today on the hot port walks in Venice, California. Come on, Can folks, I, step can right I have up. your autograph, please? Please, I have a pencil. Yeah, I'm going to seek permission right now, you know? I mean, people start picking up on me, handing out autographs might be a security problem. Hmm? Come on, folks, step right up. Get your shells, toys, maps, T-shirts. Come on, folks, step right here. Hey, hey, Jenny. Hi, Dad, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm fine. Come on, folks. Hey, how about you over there? Purple shell, green shell, all kinds of junk. Come on, folks, step right up here. Hey, how about you in the red shirt there? Are you really moving up in the world? Funny, very clever. Why don't you kick me in the shins? Get a good laugh out of that one, huh? <laughs> Woo! Why so bitter? Strolling around the fresh air. What could be better for a young man? Oh, yeah, just great, just great. I mean, a snotty kid threw Cracker Jacks at me. A dog thought I was a fire plug, and two girls gave me a lecture on imperialism. Listen, don't knock it. It's an honest job. Beats hustling. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, how would you know? Take my word. I know. Well, you don't know Nick Demick. So I want to point out that I, I think he's the uncle that gives him the car, Nick the car. And I think that's important because uh, Todd thinks that he's Uncle Sam. Oh, okay. And, All right. And so I think that there's this uh, a kind of family thing that's happening as the yes. film progresses where they're sort of building these sort of makeshift families. And um, and so I think it, I could be wrong about Kenneth McMillan being the uncle, but that struck me when I watched it that there was a connection between his real uncle and then Todd thinking this guy was the Uncle Sam character. All right, so uh, you have uh, now now the the thing with Todd is that Todd is a really big buff guy, but he's a little he's sort of a um, gentle giant, kind of slightly slow mentally, and he lives uh, his his family who seem to have slightly disowned him in a way, have bought him this little house near the beach where he lives. And he, he, he likes to lift weights. There, there are these, um, along the beach, there are these signs that they stick into these huge, like flower pot, like cement things. And, um, and Nick sees him one night, just like lifting them and stuff like that. So this is this is a big, hefty guy, and uh, so he keeps running into uh, Nick. Keeps running into Todd, and then he also keeps running into Jenny's character, who most of the time sort of sasses him around. Eventually, Nick sort of uh, runs out of money, and he's sle- he's sleeping on the beach one night, and he wakes up and discovers that he's fell asleep on Muscle Beach, and he's watching all these bodybuilders and weightlifters, and he sees Frank Columbo, who's an actual proper bodybuilder, uh, doing an endorsement. And he goes up to the director of the uh, of the oh, commercial, yeah. who's, who's Paul Bartel. Yes. And and they, they have a chat where it's like, hmm, okay, um, how, how much does a guy make 
with something like this. Oh, he can make up to a hundred thousand dollars. It was it was like nineteen eighty, folks. Uh, he can make a hundred thousand dollars, and you could see like that ding, the light go off over Nick's head. And uh, he he does a couple things that at that point. He goes to Todd and starts to sort of say to him, "Hey, man, you know, do you want to? You know, you, you you know, your family have told you, you you're special." But do you want to really be special? Because I can help you out on that. And he he recruits uh, Nick recruits a uh, I believe her name is Rose McIntyre. Is that her name? I think uh, uh, like a bodybuilder oh, yeah. trainer to help to help train Todd. And then he meets up with uh, Jenny again at Stan's Hots and does some dishes and things to make a little money. And then actually goes back to Jenny's house uh, where Jenny gets a phone call. What did you say you wanted to drink? Scotch. Yeah. So you're a dancer, huh? You know, I started dancing when I was four. Straight up. Oh, yes, please. Thank you. Stopped when I was 24. Ended up doing musicals on the road. <sighs> Thank you. So how'd you end up at Stamps? I was in Portland doing a chorus line when I turned and twisted my knee. The doctor called it football knee. Well, whatever it was, it was enough. You can't stay long. I've got a date. Why don't you break it? For you? <laughs> I'm having dinner at Tour d'Antibes. I wouldn't break that for Robert Redford. Well, for him, maybe I'd think about it. Hey, uh, this date, is he your uh, boyfriend? No, he's a business partner. He's helping me start a dance school. What's he getting out of it? Why don't you ask him? I don't think I really have to. $500 watch? You don't buy that waiting tables at stands. His friend's a businessman. He must be getting something for his investment. He is a businessman, a real one, not a hustler like you. I'm a hustler, but I've got a future. Oh, yeah? Washing dishes and stands? Stick with it, and you'll go all the way. I will, because i got something special. Oh, you should have told me. You're rich. What I got is better. Better than money? A hundred times better. i got an idea. Can't wait to hear it. You will. In fact, you're going to be part of it. You know, it's just what I figured. Your great idea is a one-night stand. So I'm sorry, I should have stipulated it's after the call. So her daughter calls. She's got a little girl. Yes. And um, and Nick is basically insinuating like that this guy is going to finance your school to get and help you bring your daughter out. But he's really just stringing you along for sex. And Nick could be right. He is that. right, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, at that point, uh, Nick calls a uh, – well, he, he basically does sort of a music man style thing where he calls all the business people in the area together and tells them they're going to throw this huge muscle beach bodybuilder competition and they've got sponsors and he's got these big guys like Columbo and some other guys they're going to show up I just like saying Columbo because it's not quite Columbo and they're, they're going to show up but but he needs all the folks all in the area to sort of get together and he needs volunteers to help him build the grandstand and set everything up and do publicity and promotions and the crowd goes wild for it and Afterwards, uh, Nick is talking with Jenny, and you realize that he doesn't have any of these people lined up to show up. But he's got, you know, he's got hope. And um, the sponsor he's hoping to get is Jenny and use her money uh, that she was going to use for the dance school. And Jenny says yes. You know, she wants a, uh, like 40% of the gross or something like that. So they start putting this thing together, and Todd is training. Nick ends up hooking up with uh, Joe Santos, who is Barry a guy named Barry and Barry is an actual proper promoter and super sleazy. I, super. He meets, yeah. He meets Barry through, I want to say, is it Sheila? I think is the character. I can't that I, I, Veronica I, Hamill from Ski Lift to Death. 
Yes, yes. And uh, Sheila's like a TV reporter, and she hooks him up with um, uh, Barry. And Barry is is the sort of guy who's like, let's go to a party tonight in Las Vegas. And they go to a party, and it's like all super sleazy and strange. And somewhere in here, uh, well, well, one of Nick's things is he keeps trying to romance Jenny, and Jenny mostly resists in the end she might not so much but uh nick goes uh with barry to this party and they end up signing um contracts and one of the contracts we could talk about this clause later i won't tell it now because it kind of gives away the ending but there's a very strange clause in one of the contracts and we we were just uh, with the help of Barry, we get sponsorships. We get the bodybuilders coming in. Todd's getting ready. Everyone's excited. Todd's the local boy. And we get this at uh, the day of the event. And everything's huge and exciting. And Barry shows up. And I don't remember the guy's name at all. Is it Ken Rock? Does oh, it's that like sound Frank like Frank Zane, wasn't it? Is it Fra- yes, it's it, um oh gosh. Yeah, it's Frank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and basically, uh, Barry shows up with this guy who sort of his bodybuilder guy, and has a talk with Nick. Everything's looking good, don't you think? Sit down. Your boy doing okay? Todd's fine. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed with what you've done. How would you like to come to work with me? I'd get a hungry man developing projects. You'd get access to all my resources and contracts, salary plus commission. You interested? <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. Well, I was hoping you would be. Now, I got a problem, and I need your help. Sure, what is it? Well, it's Ken. This guy is on the verge of stardom. Endorsements, TV, I got a dozen fat deals waiting for him. But he needs one extra nudge to get him over the top. What's that? A win tomorrow. That's gonna be a problem. You'd have to be Todd. You want me to help Todd lose? Todd's your investment is already paid off. He got you a foot in the door, my door. My investments can, and he could pay off tomorrow for both of us. Todd can win it. Venice, he's a local favorite, but a star he's not. Nick, you really think he can handle the pressures? No offense, but even if your boy wins, he's got no future. He's been working his tail off for me. He believes in me. It's not like you're cutting his throat. Second place in his debut appearance on national TV, he'll be thrilled. If he wins, my colleagues would be very upset. Nick, winners gotta be promotable properties. Some local yokel wins who can't even stumble his way to an interview, they feel like they didn't get their money's worth. Let Todd win the preliminary. So wait, what is Joe Santos' character's name again? Uh, Barry, Barry, um, light, late, very Layton. So Barry is the sleazebag in this. Jerry was the sleazebag in Zuma Beach. So we have yet mm-hmm. another connection. Something to think about, folks. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Uh, I, my mind was blown when I realized that. So, so that that's basically sort of the dilemma for Nick. All this stuff he's been um, hustling for. Really, it comes down to the big bodybuilding things hit, and it's, do I tell Todd to lose? Do I let Todd win? I was going to save the clause because uh, the clause kind of gives away what the yeah. ending might might be. Uh, so I won't say it now, but that's I'll leave it here. The, the big dilemma is, does Nick um, go with Todd or not? And go with Barry. So I'll draw the curtain on that. Okay, so I think this was all of our first time, right, watching this? Yes, yes. 
Okay, this is a really rare film, and I have been dying to see it for a long, long time. I was thrilled to see that Emily Kimber put it on YouTube, and that we were finally able to watch it. It's not a bad copy. I am just going to put my heart in my hand and hand it out to everybody. I loved this movie. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Now, I have a super soft spot for Richard Hatch. Um... So I'm going to genu generally like anything he's in just because I love him. I think he's a wonderful actor. Um, but I thought this was a really good film. I thought the dialogue was really swift and uh, clippy and fun. And um, I thought Kay Lenz was really spunky and likable and strong. And I thought Tim Kimber as Todd was really sweet. And I, th I really liked the characters, the way they interacted with each other. I liked the story an awful lot. I'm really fascinated by that sort of muscle beach sort of culture of all the people working out in Venice Beach and like the sort of just the way they get up really early because so there's a, that part where Richard Hatch is first sleeping on the beach and that girl Tara I think is her name comes up to him and she's like hey you should work out and he's like really and he's walking along the beach and there's everybody it's like six in the morning and everybody's out there pumping iron now I get to the gym at 5 30 I'm not trying to say I'm better <laughs> than these people but I get there before they do but anyway but they're pumping serious iron like I don't do that um so like um and they do some really interesting stuff because they use real bodybuilders including that Columbo guy and Frank Zane those are real bodylifters and then they've got uh or weightlifters and then they've got um a woman in there who do you remember the woman in the bikini that's doing like she was a dancer that became like a weightlifter oh and yes yeah and she's kind of, and they're just showing her physique. And it's fascinating, like, to me, this whole sort of weightlifting, bodybuilding sort of culture. And I think they capture it really well, especially the Venice Beach uh, version of it. And it had really fun characters that were like side characters. So Jeanette Nolan plays the trainer, and she's this like 80-year-old woman who's training Todd. And I like Stan um, and who owned the restaurant. And so I just found it to be really likable and, and, uh, breezy was what it was. So I don't feel like there's ever any real question what's going to become of Todd in the competition for me. I feel like it's very by the numbers in terms of that part of the story, but I didn't care. I just cared about like watching the characters like hang out and do their thing. And also Veronica Hamill is such a good actress. Like she always plays supporting roles and she's always like the brightest spot in whatever she's in. Like in Ski Lift to Death, we went on and on about her love affair with Don Galloway's character and how mm. heartbreaking that was. And she was so good in it. And she's in um, the TV movie version of Valley of the Dolls. And she's so amazing in that film. It's not a very good movie. Brooke Convy's in it, so everybody should see it. But it's um, her performance is just so heart-wrenching it's like it's just it carries the film and she's really good in this and what I thought was so fascinating about the character was that I wasn't really sure she was a reporter at the beginning I thought she came in acting like a reporter to lure uh, Richard oh, Hatch into oh. a con and that mm -hmm. Joe Santos actually wasn't a promoter so I was really surprised when he took him to Vegas and it yeah. turned out he was legit because I thought that they were they were taking him like a con pulling a con on a con right mm -hmm. and uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing that didn't happen in the film but I thought would because she has a real interesting quality to her that's very like she says something but you feel like something else is happening underneath 
right, Mm -hmm. in her performance, and I loved it. I thought it was really good. So anyway, it was really good. I loved it. I would watch it again. I thought it was even better with the commercials because the PSAs were fantastic. So much cocaine was happening in the 80s that they had PSAs for it, and I loved it. That, Um, That child abuse one is really weird. That that one where it's it's like grandpa passing a plate of food to his son, and then the the son passing it to his kid. Ch- and you just see them passing food, and you're like, "What's this about child abuse?" Because oh my god, what's going on? What's you, you know what? Just to just a bookmark for later, but it might be fun if we just watched a bunch of PSAs and did an episode oh, on PSAs. Yeah. Um, that would be really fun. But yeah, like there's the commercials are crazy. And so that kind of, it puts you in like what it was like to watch this at 1130 at night in 1982. So I think that that sort of upped the charm for me. But yeah, I think it's really good. I pretty much think if Richard Hatch is starring in something, if nothing else, you're going to get a lot of personality um, and a lot of presence to watch for two hours. And so for that alone, I think it's worthwhile. But I actually thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, and I wondered about Dan's response to it because it reminded me of For Ladies Only. And mm, I know okay, that yeah. you didn't like that one. So what did you think of Hustler of Muscle Beach? Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I really loved uh, Kay Lenz in it. Yeah, she's great. Um, I, I think she's great, and I think uh, Mr. Kimber is pretty darn good, yeah. too. The, the problem I had with the movie is that I just didn't like Nick. I, I just I just didn't find him to be a likable character. I thought he was um, hustling all the way through from beginning to end. And even, even the choice he makes at the last minute there during the competition um, is I, – I don't know. Should I say what, um, what happens there? Okay, so this is a spoiler, but I mean, it's not really much of a spoiler, folks. I think you can figure it out. But it's basically, yeah, yes. Joe Santos basically says, my guy's got to win. Nick tells uh, Todd, um, you have to, more or less, you have to lose. And then at the last moment, Nick... Um, well, Jenny, he tell Nick tells Jenny, and and Jenny says something like, "When Nick says, I'm sorry, I had to do it. I've got a lot going on.'" And Jenny says, "No, I understand. You just picked the better percentages, you know, that kind of thing." At the last moment, Nick runs out and says, "Todd win," and Todd wins. And I guess like you said, "Fire bad Todd win." Todd wins, and there's a clause in the contract that Nick signed with Barry, which basically says if. I don't know if it's Barry thinks something, but if if Barry thinks that Nick screws something up, Barry gets all the money, which I find to be a slightly strange clause. Yeah, it was Barry- it was something that like if they lose money on the event, um, mm-hmm. he can claim the percentage that was supposed to go to Nick, and yes. I think it uh, Nick says something to the, f- to the effect of, "Well, why you could just say it lost money," yes, and did. so that's the clause so- he's going to use. And 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 so uh, and so that's kind of like Barry says to Nick as he's leaving. I'm gonna love taking your money from you. And uh, but and but to me though, like when Nick tells Todd uh, win, he's he's picking the percentages again. If if the other guy wins, then Nick keeps working with Barry, who he kind of doesn't like now after Barry did that to him, but. Um, but he's have to, he's he still will have a contract with Barry and keep keep having to work with him. But if he tells Todd to win and Todd wins, then his ties with Barry are cut. But he has this guy who has just won a competition and could go on to win more. And per Paul Bartel, can possibly in the long run make tons and tons of money. I see that, but I saw it more as Nick losing everything but winning himself. 
Like, because uh, oh, he was yeah. going to be penniless. Like, he lost everything. Like, uh, he put his whole heart and soul in that. Well, he and didn't. He didn't actually have anything. He had Jenny's money. He well, he lost her money. You know yeah. what I mean? And he lost this huge opportunity. Well, from the cable grosses that he was going to get, right? Because they sold it to television. So yeah. that's what I mean. I mean, he lost the profits, <laughs> and he gave yeah. them up so that his friend could win the comp. I mean, that's how I saw it. But I totally see where you're coming from. You're right. Like, yeah. like if you weigh the options in a way. He's still at an advantage. Yes, yes, because it, yeah, you know, like I said, he can enter him in other competitions. And I just, I just thought, um, it, because to me, that's closer to Nick's character mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Is is at the he think about what she was saying and think, wait a minute, it's better if I uh, not not in the short term, but in the long run, it's better if we do this because I've got I always get by before through my hustling. I can continue to do that, and we can we can do this. So maybe I could I'm, maybe I'm being a bit too cynical, but that's the way his character is throughout the movie. And so I just I just saw it that way. But yeah, there's I I wish I could say that I loved it. I liked bits of it very much. But I just never I love Richard Hatch, adore everything he's in. This is the one time where there were a few moments I wanted to reach through the screen and punch him. And not the hatch. No, yeah, I know. It's just I didn't um there there, there are just things like through through much of the movie. In order to get Todd to do what he wants, he's manipulating a man who is mentally slow. He, he's literally, he, he's saying, he is well, you know. Not though. Like, I mean, like, I thought it, the way he talked to, it's like he knew how to talk to him, which I, was really touched me. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's something about sort of, um, uh, you, Todd, Todd, do you want to be special? I thought I was special. Yeah, you are kind of special, but you're not really special unless you're rich or you become a celebrity or you do something big. That's that's what you got to do, you know. And and he he more or less says that to him at one point, and that made me a little sick to my stomach. And then the way he convinces Jenny to be a sponsor is not by saying, "Hey, we could do something big." He says, "You're never going to get your daughter back. You're never going to do that dance studio. You're going to get old. The wrinkles are going to set in. Why not do something now?" That's, and I thought that's that's just really? the truth. Bomb. I guess that's no, a true not, bomb. No, just, not I, the wrinkles part, but the other part I thought was actually pretty honest. Like, like because she really was pursuing something that I think she wasn't fully like either into mm-hmm. or or was having a lot of difficulty with and wasn't facing up to it. I think in some ways he was being honest with her. That's my impression. But the part about the wrinkles was very upsetting. Um, possibly, yeah, uh, and and i just um I, I think that's the thing is i got to the end of it and i was like you know what if if nick had been like like i said if nick had been more like robert preston in the music man oh my gosh that would have been fantastic but he's kind of he 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 i just i just didn't like the way he was manipulating everyone and then he's like i said to, to me he was still doing it at the end and i just um i didn't like that character and that got in the way because he's in almost every scene yeah it's his and, and i so, yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I think your mileage may vary. Uh, you, like you, you obviously love this character, and I think I just he just didn't he just well, didn't do it for me. I love the performance. I mean, I think it's a complex oh, okay. character. I don't think that he's completely mm-hmm. likable all the time, but mm-hmm. like, uh, and he's he comes on strong with everybody. But like, yeah. but like, it's Richard Hatch, and like he's yeah, I know. It's just he's so good at what he does, and like, <laughs> it, there's just this like brightness in his eyes you know he's just such an appealing actor and so mm. watching the performance was like everything for me yeah i 
I, I, yeah, I, I really, I, when I watched the second time, I said, okay, Dan, this is going to be like Zuma Beach. You're going to like this more. But when I knew what he was doing ahead of time and what was going to happen, he just got on my nerves more. I just, I, I didn't like, I didn't like him. But uh, it's, it's well made. It's a well-made film. It moves at a pretty decent pace. And yeah, the Muscle Beach sort of um, world is, I'll be honest, I found the, uh, the actual competition to be a little dull. The camera's kind of a little too far away from everything. It, it doesn't kind of uh, like when the, the that one woman comes out and she's moving around and kind of doing her dance. <laughs> the, ca- the camera's like the camera's like up in a tree or something in a yeah, distance. Yeah, it's, it's like, like get, a get full body shot, but it was just a really interesting like it's just a culture that it's it's interesting. To, yeah, it's I think it's interesting to to see. Um, I, I I just I just felt like maybe at the end there should have been like one more scene with Nick, kind of where you see like these Jenny and Todd, they, they are his friends because part of me too, with him going after Jenny to romantically. And there's that weird scene where he finally wins her over by bringing her champagne and roses. And she goes, Oh roses. I love them. And all I could think was, but didn't he buy those with your money? That's what, right. What, she says you know, that though. She says that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and so it's like, I don't know. I, I felt like the reason why he was sort of doing the romantic thing was like if he had a romantic hold on her, it would be tougher to break sort of the business deal with the money if she fell in love with him. No, now, no, no. I think I'm being, I think I think this film struck me the wrong way, and maybe it's a Zuma Beach thing. If I watch it a third time. I will love it. But his character just bothered me. And I'll stop talking right now because you put your heart in your hand and I don't mean <laughs> it's okay. to. And I'm just, I'm just saying that's a great heart. Um, that's a great But let's ask Nate what he thought yes. of it. Um, well, uh, Dan, you know, I think that you're awesome. But I got to side with Amanda on this one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, oh I did find him unlikable, but I thought that – the end was his redemption. I mean, not perfectly. I think, like Amanda said, he's a very flawed three-dimensional character. And I think that he, at the end, when, you know, it's like his back was against the wall and he could have, you know, done, you know, the easy money route like he has his whole life, he changed because he actually did feel like a friendship towards uh, Todd and I thought that was a really good moment, and it kind of showed that while I don't think that suddenly makes him a good person, that all hope is not lost for him. And that he has, you know, like, uh, it's a step in the right direction, so maybe he can redeem himself. Um, but, of course, you know, the movie goes off shortly thereafter, so you don't really see that. I loved uh, the beginning uh, when he was in the restaurant and faked food poisoning right after he finished his meal. <laughs> I've never seen food poisoning come on that quickly, and I agree with Kay Lenz on that one. I thought she was hilarious the way she would constantly like bust his chops for stuff she knew. She just sort of called him out on his uh, bull, and I thought that was awesome. I, I really liked their dynamic. I thought yeah. it was fun. Um, they had a lot of chemistry in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, she is my she is my favorite part of the movie. The sass she gives him. Yeah, she's very sassy. I like it a lot. And I really like Todd. I thought that he's just he's so innocent and and naive. You know, he's he's very you know kind and he's a gentle giant. And I really liked his character. So it just I don't know. It was a feel good moment when he won the uh, bodybuilding contest at the end. I really liked it. I got to say, I was a big fan of this one. Um, 
I don't know which one I prefer between the two. I like them both, but for different reasons. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, I feel the same way too. They're they're so different. I mean, they both take place on beaches predominantly, but like the stories are so different, and it would be hard for me to pick one over the other. Although, yeah, I mean, you have to be in a certain mood to watch Zuma Beach. I mean, they're not necessarily two movies you would watch together all the time if you didn't have to. Like, I think it's a they're diff they depend on your mood. Zuma Beach is a real laid back film, you know, and I think Hustler Beach moves at a different pace and differently. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Hustler takes place over what must be a couple of months. Yeah, some too, time passes, yeah. Which, where, which is Zuma is more or less like seven or eight hours in one day. Yeah, I got to say, though, I, I re- I'd recommend both of them. I liked both movies a lot. And like I said, it's different reasons. Um, part of Hustler of Muscle Beach, to be honest with you, reminded me. Um, did you guys ever see that movie uh, Kingpin with Woody Harrelson in the 90s? Yeah, where well, he's kind of the. It. The hustler bowler, and he <laughs> takes in the Amish yeah. guy who can yes. bowl really well, and he kind of hustles and uses him. But he ends up growing a fondness for him for real, even though he's just using him at first. So I don't know why, but I just kept getting vibes <laughs> from that movie. <laughs> even though, obviously, Hustler Muscle Beach came out much earlier. Mm-hmm. But it just the, the general storyline just kind of seems similar. Just switch bodybuilding with bowling. Well, Randy Quaid looks so much like Tim Kimber, so... <laughs> <laughs> I could see. That's interesting, though. I never thought of that. But yeah, you're right. They have strange similarities. Maybe the writer of Kingpin was like, oh, Hustler Muscle Beach is so good. So good. <laughs> he caught it on that 1982 yep, yep. late night show. Yep. <laughs> Let's have cocaine PSAs in it. And well, Tim Kimber is huge, by the way. He's, he is. he's ginormous. He's ginormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I really loved his performance. It's so, He's got right. a sweet smile. Yeah, yeah it's really he... sweet. And it's so hard to play those kind of characters that are like uh, mentally retarded. I'm not even sure what the, pre- the ter- yeah. term is. And I don't want to say anything offensive. But, you know, he's um, to play those kind of characters, it's so easy to like fall into like caricature. And um, he just doesn't. It's just he he maintains this real air of likability and sweetness. And I wanted I brought up Tara. I think is the character's name, the girl that wakes up Richard Hatch on the beach because she shows up later oh, Tar- yeah. and yeah. she tries to seduce him. Mm-hmm. And I was furious because she knows better because Todd was like a was like a local. They all knew him, and yeah. he was just this guy that picked up garbage around their neighborhoods and like. And, like, she was aware of the fact that he wasn't really an adult. and mm-hmm. But when he was, like, on the verge to maybe being famous, she took every opportunity to try to seduce him. And it went horribly wrong, right? I thought it was yeah. going to be one of those scenes in, like, um, Of Mice and Men where, like, he breaks her neck while he's petting her hair. Yeah, I was terrified that it was going to take a turn like that. Well, and you thought it would because, because Richard Hatch comes home. And there's the house has been trashed, and neither one of them are in the house. And yeah. you were like, "Oh my God, he just murdered Tara, didn't he? This is going somewhere else." And he just yeah. he just freaked out because he didn't know how to handle the situation. She was mean to him, and she mm-hmm. left. And he was upset that Nick wasn't there, and so he destroyed the house and then went like somewhere to sulk. And um, totally not what I thought was going to happen. And then Tara never shows up again. And but I really feel like maybe maybe. Maybe she should have been told what she did was wrong. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. And I, that I it think, was disgusting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that one of the things I do like about Todd is that he's he's he he he, he can be he be very unsure of himself throughout the movie. Like one moment he's like, I can do this, and then he's like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to. But right at the very end, as as Nick is desperately trying to tell Todd, you got to lose. Todd is like, I'm going to win, and he's just got this kind of like buoyant, like I think I can win this. I think. But then when Nick actually tells him he has to lose, he he's um. I forget what he says to Todd, but it's like Todd says something like, uh, I can do this. And Nick says, no, you can't. And it's like, oh, you effer. That's actually when I wanted to reach through the screen and punch him. Um, but then he and, said, fire and, bad, Todd win. And it was all good. He did, he did. He did. But at that at that moment, I was like, Richard Hatch, don't you do that. I like you too much. But yeah, it's it's great to see Todd just like, um, I, and I I I I love the the competitions where it's just I love the um uh the announcers it's like he's he's turning to the left <laughs> oh he's right. flexing That's oh right. look at his leg oh he's turning to the right he's giving us some arm all right look at that Look at his chest. Oh, he's turning to the left again. Yes, All right, and, and that's like this is the chatter for bodybuilding. It's so good. I, I, we should we should mention that Bobby Van is the MC at the uh, mm-hmm. at the in the last competition or the announcer, which is pretty cool. And he'll come up in my trivia. But um, yeah, you're right. They, it's that kind of talk while they're because it's just showing off your muscles but like <laughs> but like it's interesting because when he goes to see the trainer who's the older lady Jeanette Nolan plays her um and she's like she puts her hands on Todd's shoulders and she's like oh his deltoids are like you know what I mean like things you never think about you just think he's this buff guy so of course he can enter the competition but she's like oh these are crooked and he needs to straighten this and his uh femur is weak or whatever and you're like yeah. <laughs> whoa like she understands yeah. the anatomy like in crazy ways like the way so like so like you can be buff but you might not be bodybuilding competition buff like they really point that out in the film there's proper buff and improper buff there is and i was really surprised by that Uh, you figure you figure probably there would be in the end because there's always all the all the you know these the the intricacies of the assorted things but uh for the record richard hatch is proper buff (laughs) okay he is that's I don't. It. I don't disagree. I don't <laughs> it's funny because they they never show him like without a shirt on or anything, because mm. he has a really good physique, but it's like obviously not bodybuilding physique. Yes. And I think they kind of play down like that he's normal buff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, my impression. Wait a minute, he's not normal buff. <laughs> well, he's not Catch normal. Buff? I mean, he's he's angelically buff, right? <laughs> yes. Like he's in really good shape, right? You Heavenly can tell. Buff. Yep. Yeah, he's heavenly buff, Richard Hatches. <laughs> but <laughs> he's very handsome. Um, but anyway, so I'm glad one of you liked it. Oh, I, bre- I you know what? I take it back. I had a great time. Yo, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I understand all the things you're saying. Oh, no, like, no. He's a rough character. And that's kind of what you said about Gregory Harrison. And I think okay. I got the same vibe from the, both films that the okay. characters were sort of like these kind of could be considered unlikable, right? But to certain yeah. audience members, and, and for some reason, I kind of thought maybe you wouldn't like Hustler Muscle Beach. I, like I said, I, I, I really tried, and there are moments I like in it. I just I could not, I could not get with the main character. Unfortunately, I could not get. I could not get with him. I could not. I like, like I said, when he does the Music Man style thing with everyone, that's fun to see because it's like, okay, he's doing the hustling, and he he's really sort of got a knack to it. But it's just the more sort of personal moments mm-hmm. with the characters that just I, I i was torn on whether or not he was being nice he was, he was and, very he did it a couple times but he was very close to speaking about himself in third person too much 
Yes, that's true. You don't know Nick Demick. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- and I thought, I'm not sure I want to. Yeah, actually. there's that Sorry, whole thing Nick. where they're like, yeah, Nick Demick does this. And you're like, stop it. Yeah, stop so I, I don't like that third person thing. Um, so, yeah, okay. So, well, that's good. So it looks like we had a pretty decent double feature. Like, Dan didn't want to throw the TV out the window most of the time. So that's a positive yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, so let me just do a little background while we still have Nate. And then um, if we have time for feedback with him, we'll do it. If not... Uh, will go on. My heart will go on is what I'm saying. So, mm-hmm. um, so Hustle Muscle Beach originally aired on May 16th, 1980 on ABC. And on CBS, it ran against the Dukes of Hazard and that juggernaut Dallas. Um, on NBC, it ran against Casey Shadow, which was a theatrical film running on television. Um, this was Bobby Van's last screen appearance. He died shortly after the original airing. So, you know, he died of a heart attack very young. Um, he was married to Elaine Joyce. I don't know if anybody here knows who she is, but she's amazing. And um, they had a kid. Richard Hatch was already an accomplished actor by 1980, starring uh, most famously, of course, in Battlestar Galactica, which I just saw the pilot European cut. You know, the pilot film aired in Europe on the big screens. And they played it here at the Alamo. It's my second time seeing it on the big screen. It's amazing. He's amazing. Um, Hatch made his television debut in 1971 on All My Children. Um, He was also Michael Douglas' replacement on the streets of San Francisco in their final season. His first TV movie was Crime Club from 1973, which is really good. Um, He has a small part in it, though. But his most famous telefilm was probably Dead Man's Curve uh, from 1978, which is so good. And I wrote that down here. So good in capital letters. It's the story of Jan and Dean. Have either one of you seen that movie? No. It's a movie about the musical duo Jan and Dean, and one of them was in a car accident, and then yeah. he like had some um, mental, like some brain damage. And the movie is about them sort of coming back from that. It's so good, and Richard Hatch is so good in it, and Bruce Davison's in it, and it's so amazing, and everybody needs to see it. That's all. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jan and Dean fan. Their Batman album is super fun. But you haven't it, seen Dead Man's Curve? I have not. I have not. <sighs> Whatever. I okay. will. I will. I will. Okay. All right. So then next to my background, this is a really important piece of uh, factual information. I wrote Kay Lenz is a goddess. <laughs> so Agreed. that is a piece of truth right there. Um, she was in The Initiation of Sarah and one of my other favorite TV movies, Murder by Night. Um, she was the object of Rod Stewart's infatuation in his video infatuation. I don't know if you guys knew that, but she's the girl that oh, Rod wow. Stewart's watching, which was directed by the guy who directed Hustler of Muscle Beach. By the way, same director for the video, um, Jonathan Kaplan. Kaplan, yes. Yeah. He was a, um, oh, she was a child actor and appeared on an episode of The Andy Griffith Show, which I didn't know until I looked her up. Um, Tim Kimber, Tim Kimber only has three IMDb credits, uh, but he has a LinkedIn page, and according to that page, um, he was also on a, a episode of Heart to Heart. There's actually a bodybuilding episode. That Frank Zane, I think, is in, um, that Tim Kimber must be in. That must be the episode. Um so, uh, Kimber apparently was one of the founders or early investors of Gold's Gym. I believe he was the co-owner for many years. Um, he's now a singer and songwriter, and he was also Mr. Empire State. That's a bodybuilding competition, I believe. And he runs a website development site called webhappy.net, and he is a huge animal lover, which makes me oh. love him even more. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times hated, hated Hustler Muscle Beach. Um, oh, I'm sorry, he loved it. He said it had warmth oh. and substance. He loved the performance. Tom Shales of the Washington Post hated it. He oh. thought it was dopey. It ranked number 131 out of 291 television movies to air during the 1979 79. to 1980 season. It got a 15.8 27, which meant 15.8 million homes with televisions were watching Hustler Muscle Beach, which represents 27% of the television viewing audience. Um, uh, Jonathan Kaplan 
is a pretty prominent director and you know what I didn't make any notes about him but um, he this was a film that he got a lot of note for and I think it was semi early on in his career he did a lot of B movies before this he did Truck Turner White Line Fever oh. he directed Over the Edge do you remember that movie with Matt Dillon and he did those first and then he moved into television he did The Girls of Wild Orchid which I think has um, Jennifer Jason Lee in it and oh he did Unlawful Entry from the 90s remember that Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So he has a really interesting career. And then he moved into Episodics, which um, he kind of did towards the end. I think his last credit's from 2013. Um, he did, like, episodes of ER and stuff. But anyway, he's supposed to be a pretty interesting character, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to um, research him as much as I wanted to. So hopefully we'll cover another one of his films, mm -hmm. and we can talk about him at length. And that's it. That's, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. my backup. Thank you. Uh, or my backup. My background. And... <laughs> Uh, I think Nate has to go because it's late for him. Yes, I get to go to work in the morning. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> so, well, thanks. I'm really glad you enjoyed the films, unlike somebody. Oh, I know. <laughs> that you are pretentious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, you both uh, love the movie I picked for the next Patreon pick the, for The Hysteria Continues. What's that? Let's just say it involves Ruth Roman and Anjanette Comer. Oh my god! Oh best movie my gosh! Ever. You know what it is, right? Yeah, of course. Oh I know. yes. Oh yes. I'm That's in. the hint. Love it. Love and oh my goodness, I was so glad to finally get to cover this movie. I would love to have covered it with you guys, but it's not a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. It feels like one at times. It but does. It's not. It does. It's yeah. Ted Post. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I give something away? No, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Oh well, you said the stars. So yeah. Yeah, it it people have people have thought it ran on television and I'm like just that first scene where he's getting the babysitters like breastfeeding him. Yes. That would not be on TV. Guys. No. <laughs> I guarantee no, no, you. No. Yeah. But Angie Comer was predominantly a television actress. Mhm. Mm Maybe that's why people think think it's a TV movie so much. Yeah, I guess so. It has an aesthetic to it, I guess. I don't yeah, know. yeah. She, she was in Five Desperate Women, right? Yeah, she, yeah. Yes, she was yeah. in a, one of those CBS late night, um, not CBS, ABC Wild World Mystery movies too. I think it's called Shadow of Fear with Tom Selleck. Oh, it's really nice. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yes, yeah, from the seventies. It's actually on DVD through Dark Sky Films. Um, it's a shot on video. It's it's uh, like an hour long sort of pot mm -hmm. boiler with um, the guy who played Asa Buchanan on One Life to Live and Tom Selleck. Strangely enough, wow. and I really like it, but it's slow. They're like plays, so you have to mm -hmm. kind of be willing to watch something that feels like a play but uh, I think it's really good mm -hmm. I'm going to have to check it out sometime mm -hmm. I think you should um, we should probably do some ABC Wild World Mysteries actually I yeah think, I think we need to no, so, that'd be fun yeah it'd be yeah. really fun I have one in mind actually okay so anyway we're going to say goodbye to you Nate and then we're going to go to feedback oh, and that's too bad good you, night, you got good mentioned night. in the feedback somebody wanted you to do an after the credits for these Oh, yeah, I should start doing after the credits. Oh, I have yeah. one for Zuma Beach right quick. Okay. So Suzanne Somers does end up becoming uh, a big star with her new song, Kissed Whispers, a.k.a. Kispers. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I mean, that's so modern. Yes. Mashing the words together. That's like Brangelina or <laughs> Benifer. <laughs> <laughs> and in Hustler Muscle Beach, Nick redeems himself. Yes. And yes, he, he does, and Kay Lenz go on to have a wonderful selfless <laughs> experience together. That's right, Nate. I mean, Nate, Dan. That's right, oh, Dan. Wow. 
Oh boy. <laughs> so that that's my after the credits. But yeah, we should start doing those. That'd, oh, be, that'd fun. be fun. Yeah. That might be yeah. fun. So yeah. we'll start coming up with that for the next episode. We can plan it. Cool. Okay. Yay. So we'll see you next time. And don't yeah. forget to plan your snow beast, what you're gonna do, but I'll contact you about that. Okay, cool. yeah. All right. Cool. All right, we'll see you then. Thanks, man. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And now it's time for feedback. Okay, so here's our feedback. I'm going to start with some feedback about our last episode um, okay. from Steve Yacht, who I believe is just Steve Yacht on Twitter. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, he wrote, hey, Amanda, really enjoyed the Mazes and Monsters discussion from last episode. I'm surprised I never heard of this before since I would have been 12 when this was first shown, and it would have been right up my alley. While I, while I knew of the D&D scare at the time, I had never heard of Dallas Egbert. Your discussion of him was, uh, was what must have been going through really... Oh, sorry, I'm reading this wrong. Your discussion with him and what he must have been going through really got to me to the point that I had to look him up online and, and find out more information about him. What started out as a harmless Google search turned into a huge internet wormhole that led me from story to story. What really surprised me was that he went to high school just in the next town where I grew up, which was about 10 miles away. I'm sure this was huge news locally, but being only nine years old at the time, I doubt I was paying too much attention. From what I can muster, after he was found, he spent some time at my alma mater, Wright State University, before committing suicide here locally. Even more info. Oh, this is fascinating. One of the stories indicated he worked for his father's uh, optical store briefly, so I did some more searching. And yes, there is a Dallas, there is a Dr. James Egbert here locally who operates three eye care centers. The website lists him as having a wife, Anne, which matches the news stories. I'm guessing the other Egbert is the business, um, is Dallas's younger brother. And the kicker is the one of the five offices is located literally right around the corner from where I live. And he sent a link to the um, oh, wow. website, and I was able to look at Dallas Egbert's uh, brother and father, which was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, if this all seems a little morbid, it probably is. I don't think it is, personally. But but the story got to me in a strange way, and I wanted more information. I was, young, I was a young, awkward, nerdy kid, too, and struggled with some of the same things he seemed to have been going through. And here we were only a few miles apart. The whole thing makes me very sad, especially with this folks here still living, uh, still having to live with it. But thanks for introducing his story to me, even though it kind of turned into a bummer. Hopefully future episodes will be bummer free. <laughs> they, uh, they would have been bummer free had Dan not been such uh, a jerk. I, I suddenly, I, I, I want to talk to have a good talk with myself when You're we're done recording this episode. Gonna have to. <sighs> yeah, it was almost bummer free, Steve. I'm real sorry about that. So, <laughs> looking forward to your next episode. Take care, Steve Yacht. So, thank you so much for getting thank in touch you, with Steve. you. We corresponded briefly. He actually sent a bunch of leaks I haven't had a chance to look at that are all about Dallas Egbert. So, um, I I started to go down that wormhole too, but unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to do all the research I wanted to. But yeah, it's fascinating, and it's so easy because the story is so tragic to just go from one story to the next and just see watch it as it unfolds and what i did was i was going through old newspaper articles um through my library's database and reading about like when he was missing and nobody really knew what had happened and then he was found and nobody really even knew how he got found because he was underage and they didn't release that information until the book came out by the detective that found him it was really fascinating um so yeah i'm really glad and i hope if he sees mazes and monsters he really enjoys it um because i think it's fantastic um, and then, uh, we've got Jack DVD 78. Hey, Jack. 
He is uh, here with some super late feedback, he said. Each time I expect Amanda to write to me and say, come on, Jack, why do you always wait till the last minute? I just got it this morning, so which is fine. <laughs> um, so thanks, uh-huh. Amanda, for bringing these two fun in the sun TV movies into to my attention. It's fun Uh-oh. in the sun, Dan. Fun oh, I'm doing it in again. The sun. <laughs> I found Hustler of Muscle Beach on YouTube and seemed to be record and it seemed to be a recording of the film from a TV airing complete with TV with retro TV ads. At first, I thought it was from 1980, but from the commercials on the recording, it may have been later because I don't think Mary Lou Retton really got big until around 1984, but I could mm-hmm. be wrong. I hate to dwell on the TV ads, but I love them, and they were very nostalgic. The decon rat poison one came across as really harsh. That's right. Um, yes, that's right. <laughs> Amanda, you're right. Lots of PSAs. That's right. We were tweeting about it. Hustler Muscle Beach was my favorite because I just love Kay Lenz, and I liked her chemistry with Richard Hatch. Yes. Dan, do you hear that? I'm gonna. I'm just going to mute myself and, and cry, <laughs> cry quietly. Cry, 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 cry. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Dan. As no. usual with most movies I go into blindly, I had no idea what the story was about. Hatch takes up a job trying to hustle customers at Venice Beach dressed up as Uncle Sam, and Tim Kimber's Todd Nash bumps into him on the sidewalk and thinks he really is Uncle Sam. I was confused, and I wasn't sure if Todd was trying to make fun of his costume. However, Todd turns out to be mentally slow, uh, but a shy, down-to-earth guy. He also turns out to be a buff bodybuilder underneath all that baggy clothing. The movie could have gone many different places, um, the way... Um, could have gone many different ways, and I'm glad Todd's character made it through the film okay. It was a touching performance by Kimber, especially the scene in which Richard Hatch is homeless and sick on the beach in the rain, and Todd actually carries him back to the house to recover and become friends. It was just an unexpected scene. Yeah, that is kind of a really sweet scene. Yeah, um, it is. In Zuma Beach, it's the last day of summer and the beach bums and high school students. However, does summer ever truly end in California? Dan can answer that. Dan? No, it does not. No, no, it gets a little rainy at the end of the year, start of the year. But no, summer, summer keeps summer uh, pretty much until about Thanksgiving. We have summer. So, oh yeah, real briefly, yeah, real briefly, I wanted to mention, and I meant to mention it in the background or during the conversation. That must have been a really tough movie to film because they had to keep the characters all one color. First of all, yes, and, and yeah. they also had to had all the beach sounds, so it must have been post dubbed. Yeah. It must have been, yes. Yeah. Especially like like that scene where the two lifeguards are running like along the uh yeah. running right along the water. And I thought, yeah, this got a lot of post oven going on in there. Yeah, it, it must have been a really difficult film to make, but it feels so natural the end quality, mm-hmm. so that's kinda interesting. Um Suma Beach is a good way to spend summer afternoon. Um any summer afternoon. I'm sorry I'm reading this so bad, Jack. I'm really horrible at this. Um Suzanne Summers is charismatic and humble, all the while observing the lives of these young adults as they are coming into adulthood and learning that life defining choices are on their minds. It was nice to see Summers brush off. It was nice to see Summers brush off many of the guys' advances, all the while being nice and also helping some of the more shy guys break out of their shells. I had to look up Steve, uh, Stephen Keats' filmography because I've seen him in so many films, like The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and was so sad to learn he committed suicide at the young age of 49. Rosanna Arquette, I just love. Seek out Blake Edwards' SOB with her playing the same type of role, but more R-rated version of the pot-smoking, beach-loving gal that she is here. Michael Bean is just uh, he's just a butthead in this movie. I didn't realize he made anything before The Fan, which is highly underrated, and he is just uncomfortably scary in that role. I know. I love him in The Fan. He's so good in that. Here he treats everyone badly and uses poor PJ Souls to try to get her to have uh, a one-day stand. Thankfully, PJ finally comes to her senses. 
Um, did anybody spot uncredited Delta Burke? I tried to keep my eyes peeled for her, but no luck. Yeah, I couldn't find her either. Yeah. Um, I was surprised as the film wraps up that we don't get a little more insight into what Summers would do next. Did she compose a new hit song? Wow, it's like he's reading our minds here. <laughs> Perhaps Nathan can do an after the credits. So that oh. was Jack's suggestion, and we may incorporate that in there. So thank you, um, Jack. Thank I'm you, sorry. Jack. Whoa, I just had a brain freeze. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> for sending that in. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked Hustle Muscle Beach, like the sweet moments. I agree. Tim Kimber's really lovely in that. And, um, and I kind of forgotten about that scene till you mentioned it, but the, um, uh, he's just such a likable, it, it's almost like I, I love the film as it is, but I kind of wouldn't have minded to have more Todd in it. I think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's just, it's I just could... really sweet. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, I was going to say, yeah, I, I could have done a little more Todd in it too. Yeah. A little less Nick Demick. Possibly, yeah, and and maybe even like seeing Todd's uh, family or something. Yeah, that might have been interesting. That might have been because they they sent him out on his own, and that's not uncommon, you know. When I lived mm-hmm. in LA and worked at the bookstore, we used to get a lot of people who were like not quite. They were different. They weren't like him. They were um, not as sweet. But a lot of them were living on their own because their parents had just put them in an apartment to sort of get rid of them. Okay. Yeah. And so we had a lot of trouble customers that, and we would they would tell us that. They were just like their parents were paying their rent, basically, mm-hmm. and um, and then they would try to steal something. Oh, yeah, there you go, something like yeah. that. So Warren Sykes uh, on Twitter said, "John Carpenter, Chris Cooling on <laughs> Forgotten TV." That's all you got to say. Chris Cooling <laughs> on Forgotten TV um, said, "Acting tour de force." Suzanne Summers agreed. And mm-hmm. um, and then we have some feedback from our good friend Adam Gordon. So let me play that. Oh, yes. Adam Gordon here. And in a welcome palate cleanser from the propaganda films of The Last Outing, we have two beach-themed films, starting with ABC's The Hustler of Muscle Beach from 1980. It's funny how in those days it was called hustling. Now it's called entrepreneurship. Richard Hatch's character, Nick, having left New York after a string of quote-unquote boring jobs, finds himself instantly homeless in L.A., He is awoken by an absolute angel, informing him he's at Muscle Beach. That, or it's actually the angel of death, and the rest of the movie is a dream he has before passing away. Perhaps not, as he's quickly dressed as Uncle Sam, hawking souvenirs. However, things are looking up for Nick, having hatched, so to speak, a risky plan after meeting mentally challenged bodybuilding prodigy Todd Nash and cynical world-weary waitress Jenny, played by the hypnotizing Kay Lenz. As it turns out, none of the main characters have anything to lose. The cliches roll on with the elderly trainer, people making minimum wage conveniently living at homes on Venice Beach, the biological clocks ticking away even at 26, the ease of riling up retirees, the Todd groupies, and Veronica Hamill playing a news person again, at least in a warmer climate this time. The Tara scene, featuring Scream Queen Tara Strohmeyer, I presume was to be interpreted as a girl going home with Todd and then becoming amused at his not measuring up in one specific area. Later, the shady promoter offers a prophetic statement. The future, in 1980, is junk sports, which turned out to become true. So did my prediction that Hamill's character was going to take her finder's fee in trade. The culminating bodybuilding contest begins, and well, I could have done with a whole lot more than 15 seconds of women's bodybuilding. Hey movie, take a lesson from Zuma Beach. But after the promoter wants the contest fixed, the plot proceeds exactly how you would expect, although the ending made no sense. Nick is still managing a champion bodybuilder, and since the show came off well, 
the promoter doesn't have the financial losses and the grounds upon which to sue Nick. But nothing in this movie made sense, and it was too cliched to have fun with. I'm already sunburned, but it's back to the beach with one of NBC's entries in the TNA TV biz, Zuma Beach from 1978. While the credits in Comic Sans font was a giveaway as to the tone of this film, it's quite obvious when the movie presents a conversation about a long-simmering high school feud, and then the very next frame is one of many close-ups of a lovely tush in a bikini bottom. I was left to wonder, where has this movie been all my life? In fact, due to the overtly sexual tone, I would categorize this film as a proto-version of later, more explicit beach comedies, like California Dreaming or Hard Bodies, rather than an update of the beach movies of the 1960s. Primary screenwriter John Carpenter, this movie being juxtaposed between Eyes of Laura Mars and Halloween, created a self-conscious satire of high school culture with an underlying creep factor that was disturbing if you watched closely. One character in particular, Judgmental Jerry, had a life of bossing teenagers around, even passing on a willing Bonnie, Suzanne Summers' character, to break in a new protege. Fortunately, the tone of the film takes a U-turn, and the second half of the film uses the construction of a large sandcastle, started by Bonnie, who has taken the role of the wise sage of the beach. The sandcastle was not only a device to help the characters forget their troubles, but more importantly, to bring the large number of character threads together. I wasn't able to catch much of the big game at the end because the horrible camera work gave me motion sickness. While providing a preview of some big acting careers, it's a shame that the DVD didn't include any commercials that originally aired with the film. Watch for a troll running a parking lot racket that would have rightfully earned him a traffic cone crammed down his throat if he tried that crap east of the Rockies. The simultaneous best creep put down ever and worst impression of a Texas accent in TV history. A Harvard man who's in the big and tall t-shirt business. Stores that stop selling confidence at 5 o'clock. Timothy Hutton as the only smoking lifeguard in California. Some sort of bizarre Los Angeles beach ritual where a woman carrying race is followed by an arm punching contest and a dog appropriately serving as the film's Greek chorus. Zuma Beach ultimately redeemed itself and became a poignant piece of nostalgia. A film about endings, but also about hope for the future. How a little vacation in a familiar spot can give someone perspective and revitalize a career that seems to have hit a dead end. Or, maybe after nine months of feedback on this podcast, I'm starting to really overthink these movies. I wanted to give a quick plug to my good friend Sam Phillips, who many of your listeners know as Alchemy from Phantasm 2, which just celebrated its 30th anniversary, by the way. Sam is hosting a new sci-fi, speculative science podcast, with some of the editors of Omni Magazine, called the Omnipod. Search for Omnipod Podcast on YouTube and check it out. Thanks again, Amanda. Wow, that podcast sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I should, if thank, I thank, remember, I'll point a link to it. Okay, yeah, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, um, like, I, uh, like we said, like I guess for the last nine months, we should just let Adam do the feedback, <laughs> and then we can just go home. Yeah. We just play his stuff at the beginning and comment on it. You'll see he agreed with you on Hustler Muscle Beach. I, you know, I, we all make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, Adam. <laughs> yeah, Adam. What's that about? Oh, boy. I mean, I understand. I get it. And, and he brought up what I said about it goes the way you think it's going to go. 
Like there's mm-hmm. not there's not that much suspense as to like how Todd's going to end up at the end in the competition. Yeah. So I do agree with that, but um, but I still really enjoyed the film. Um, it's interesting. I didn't know. I don't know who Tara Stroheimer is, mm. but she's a scream queen. Yeah, yeah. I hmm, yeah. I'm not sure either. I I I think just to go back to Todd real quick. I think the the thing with that movie in the end is that if it gone any other way and like Todd had lost. I think it would have just been too much for the movie. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't I don't think it's that kind of movie. If Todd had lost, it would have taken another half an hour for us to be convinced that Nick was a nice guy. Sure, yeah, I agree. You know? I agree. So but th- thank you again. And thank I like what he said about how it sort of foreshadows the movies to come, um, Zuma Beach, like hard bodies. Oh yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. Um yeah. I was thinking yeah. more in t- line that it was sort of mimicking the seventies sexploitation beach movies. Yeah. But I could see where he's coming from about how it's sort of mm-hmm. a precursor. And that sort of makes sense to me. It sort of walks mm-hmm. this line between the two in a way, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, he thought Jerry was skeevy too. <laughs> like we all do. Um, so it's really good feedback. Um, yeah. I feel like there was something else. He actually gave me the transcript, but I didn't circle the things I wanted to comment on. So anyway... Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Anne. Thank it's you really much. good feedback, as always. We really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, check out Omnipod. Omnipod, yes. And that was it for our feedback this week. Um, so we are at the end. And um, it's not going to be t- so long that people will want to throw their iPod out the window. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> um, so this is just the part at the end where we talk about what we're doing and what we've done and where mm-hmm. you can contact us and what's coming up next month. So um, what I will say is today in the mail, I got my um, contributor copy for Doom Asylum. Oh, cool. And I did the liner notes for that. The story continues. Nate and his crew did the commentary, which I obviously haven't had a chance to listen to yet. But um, the liner notes are going to come in a little booklet that's only available in the first pressing of the Blu-ray release through Arrow. So um, if you're interested, you should pick that up. It's a late 80s slasher that Mm -hmm. uh, I think is really fun, and I had a really good time writing those notes. And um, I'm working on some stuff, but I can't think of anything that I can, like, announce yet. Mm-hmm. Except that someone's watching me. Oh, and I did the last house on the left, uh, Blu-ray. Which finally- oh yes, I got I got that yesterday. I'm, I'm I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, it finally came out on Blu-ray in the states, and it's been getting some pretty good reviews. Yeah. And so, if you're interested in Wes Craven and his first horror film, uh, you should check it out. I did the commentary with my friend Bill Ackerman from Supporting Characters podcast, and um, it was a difficult film. But it was uh, really fun to record with him. We had a really good time. And I hope people enjoy it if they listen to it. And if they didn't enjoy it, I hope they don't say anything. Um, <laughs> and at the end of this month, I'll be doing my next made-for-TV mystery movie at the Alamo. Yeah, That'll be July 31st. It's almost sold out. By the time this goes online, it probably will be sold out. Fingers crossed. So, But just in case, um, if you're in Austin and you want to check it out, I'm showing a really good TV movie. Um, and that's it for me, Dan. I, you know, I, I, uh, I have the Code Red uh, Doom Asylum DVD, and I, I, I had always thought it was shot on film, and then they, they did, like, say, like with Ice, they did the post production on video. So, so I was so super excited when I saw it was coming out in Blu-ray because that's a fun film. Yeah. Uh, what do I have going on? Uh, um, oh, uh, when you are. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, episode 50 of Eventually Super Train should be up. Hooray! 50 episodes. I don't quite know what that means, but it's, it seems like a milestone. Oh, totally. And, 
and we're still uh, Kristen, uh, the great Kiki writes, and I are still um, talking Green Hornet. Uh, Mitchell Hadley and I are Bourbon Street Beat. My sweet wife Madeline and I are still on Ellery Queen Mysteries, which stars a guy who looks like Tim Hutton, which is really weird. Weird. And uh, let's see. Uh, about a week or so ago, I finished one minute with Blood Lake and Iced. That's wow. all done. All eighty-seven or eighty-eight episodes of that are done. Um, I, you know, I still have my books, uh, uh, the Bleeding Skull book. I think you could still get like. Uh, on a kindle or something and and head press might still have hardcover copies for sale i'm not sure and my second book 80s action movies on the cheap is still alive and well and available and i am i am knee deep in my next book um exploring the henning verse which is not like doug henning it's it's paul henning and uh it's we're we're and actually today i just wrote a bunch of reviews for it i'm in the third season of the Henningverse, which is the third season of the Hillbilly, Beverly Hillbillies, second season of Petticoat Junction. And I'm having a great time uh, writing through all those. I'm, I'm actually about eh, about 150 reviews in, so it's uh, it's going along pretty good. So so that's that's about it for me. Awesome. That's a lot yeah. of stuff. And so um, you can contact us or follow us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast or on Facebook. Just look up the Made for TV Mayhem show. Or you can email us at TVMayhemPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, next month we're doing like kind of a mini-sode where we're going to be reading our favorite Snow Beast versus question mark. Oh, boy. Um, and we want your favorite TV movie monsters to duke it out in your one to two paragraph synopsis. And so um, I'll try to promote that as heavily as I can so we get a lot of participants. And don't forget, if you live outside of the U.S., I can't put you in the drawing. But I would love to hear your Snow Beast versus question mark story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's hilarious. And it better it? not. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it better not be Snow Beast versus Nick Demick, or I'm going to be pissed at you If you guys. can prove that he's a monster. Let's go for it. But, like, so there's this ad that they play on, like, uh, the channels that show a lot of old, like, retro programming. And it's this guy and his wife, and they have, like, awnings for their patio. And they are always changing the price of the patio, right, the awning. So they Mm -hmm. just dub over. They play the whole ad, but they're constantly dubbing over the guy's voice when he says the price. And so when I just said Snow Beast versus question mark, it makes me think of when he says, and you can get all this for nineteen ninety nine. It totally changes, right? Every time. And it's great. I, I live for that ad because I know they're going to change the price on me and it's going to be amazing. Uh-huh. So anyway, so yes, uh, Snow Beast versus question mark will um, be our next episode and I will post the rules, which are very little, um, on the website and on our social media. And so just join us for that and then we'll go back to our double features. But this will be kind of a nice break for everybody and be really fun yeah. and creative, I think. So um, that's it. We'll talk to you guys next time. Yes, excellent. Talk to you then, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.